Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're taking a trip back in time to 1987 to a film that took its own trip back in time to a Catskills resort in 1963. We'll discuss how a movie often seen as just a popcorn dance romance is actually a feminist classic which takes on issues of class. And we'll take a look at the careers of Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze, and more as we look back on the 1987 super hit Dirty Dancing. How are you, Jen? I'm, I'm doing okay. We've been gone for a little while. Um, I've been having a, a, some health problems, nothing like the audience needs to worry about too much, but just, you know, we all run into that from time to time. Yeah. Um, but we're back from the travel series and we're back with the summer romance series, which is going to be a little shorter than planned, but should be fun. Yeah. And how it, are you doing, Soph? Oh, just fine. Low key. It's been really hot. And we have like heat advisories going on. And like when it's like that, I'm like, it's we just need to stay inside. Everybody stay. In the room. Mm. So that's it. That's it. We yeah. just been hanging out. It's too bad you can't go to a resort in the cat skills. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so you and I are already married. So um, we're not in the midst of any summer romances. But uh, <laughs> since, since we're beginning the summer romance series, I was just going to ask like, um, have you ever had a summer romance or if not, like, do you feel there's something kind of special about a summer romance or a kind of mystique about it? Definitely a mystique, right? Like, you know, even, even Greece starts out that way, right? Mm. Sandy and Danny have the summer romance and they think it's ending. Like she's got to leave and, you know, you have this, this bubble for, you know, this moment of like wonderful and then it's the end. And I love that tragic element. Um, what about you, Summer Romance? <laughs> yes, you know the answer to this probably, but yeah. Um, my first like serious relationship was a summer romance. Um, it's funny because you don't often associate serious relationship and summer romance, but I was quite in love with him and we met um, working at the movie theater and we actually started the romance in like May, but you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I had to go off to college uh, after the summer, so it had that summer romance feel of like mm. being. I was going to try to stay with him. I was very young and naive. I was like, oh yeah, it's all going to work out. <laughs> and then, like two weeks into college, I got the breakup like letter. I believe it was a letter. Maybe it was a phone call. But anyway, it was sad. But yeah, mm-hmm. while it was going on, the summer romance was just like felt great like because and and i think I, to this day and maybe i don't know if it's because of that relationship or because of movies like dirty dancing that we're going to cover today but i really associate summer with romance like and yeah. all the things that go with summer like swimming and like yeah. um hanging out late at night maybe it's like because the, the days are longer i don't know yeah. or, the, or you can stay outside more and being outside is kind of well you can stay outside more when it's not blistering hot outside but yeah Right. I've always associated summer with romance. And I, I don't think my husband does. He's much more of a fall. He gets kind of romantic in the fall. He's like oh, a fall romance mm-hmm. person, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So are you, are, do you find the summer romantic or, or is there a different season that you find more romantic? I mean, right. When we were, when we were teenagers working at the movie theater and all that, and we could then like go to the lake after work and, mm. you know, all of that and stay up late and go to Hanny's cause it was open till whatever. And, you know, stuff like that when I was younger and I could be at the beach and all that, that definitely was more fun. Now that I don't do that anymore, I kind of loathe the summer and um, not loathe it. It just doesn't have the same magic that it used to have. Um, and I, yeah, I like the fall better now. Okay. Um, yeah. So today um, we're going to be talking about uh, dirty dancing. Uh, before we get started with today's episode, though, a few notes. So first, in most of our episodes, we will have a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will warn you before the spoilers begin. So the timestamp for the spoiler section is in the show notes, too. So uh, check that out. And if you're a listener who prefers a shorter podcast, we know that we're a longer podcast. You can use the show notes also to find sections of the show that you may be more interested in hearing. So I just want to put that out there. If you're, if you need, if you're the half hour podcast kind of person, you can look in our timestamps and find a half hour of content you're interested in listening to. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is every rom-com podcast and blog. Our Instagram is at every rom-com and our Twitter handle is every rom-com pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Okay, and now we're going to listen to a little bit of the trailer, or actually probably pretty much the whole trailer of Dirty Dancing. The heat is in the music. The music sets you dancing. The dancing sets her free. Best Wrong Pictures presents Dirty Dancing. She thought it would be just another summer vacation. Who's that? Oh, them. They're the dance people. But it turns out to be the time of her life. What's me now? I can't even do the merengue. He teaches her what she can do. I'm not sure who you are, but I don't want you to have anything to do with those people again. Baby, I don't see you running up to daddy telling him I'm your guy. Well, with my father, it's complicated. I will tell him. I, I don't believe you, baby. She shows him all he can be. You gotta stop it now. I know what I'm doing, Penny. I'm scared of everything. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What they learn from each other feels too good to be wrong. Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, and Cynthia Rhodes. Get ready for the time of your life. 
Fantastic. <laughs> that guy's Fantastic. voice. My God. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she thought it would be another summer vacation. Whatever. I know. It's really yeah, I don't funny. Know. Yeah. It sounds almost like a horror movie at first, which is interesting <laughs> because Vestron, um, Vestron uh, before making this picture, they were mostly like a direct-to-video company, or they were completely a, a video company, and they okay. did a lot of horror. So <laughs> maybe the same guy did it. I also um, just found this out about the trailer that like – it was cut in order to have maximum scenes of Patrick Swayze looking hot because they figured they could market it as like, look at this hot guy. And there's a lot of dancing scenes too. Like, so it's a very visual trailer. So it doesn't work as well on the podcast format. But oh, how yeah. about that? That's really <laughs> funny. That's really uh, funny. So Dirty Dancing came out August 21st, 1987, directed by Emil Ardolino. Written by Eleanor Bergstein, starring Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze, Jerry Orpoff, and Cynthia Rhodes. So, basic premise is Frances, quote, Baby Houseman, goes to a mountain resort with her family the summer before college in 1963. And while she's there, she meets the staff and helps out a pregnant dancer, Penny, who needs an illegal abortion. Uh, and to help Penny out, Baby agrees to appear in a dance performance. But that means Baby will have to train with Penny's dance partner, Johnny Castle. <laughs> it's so like the hot name man oh i love it and then while dancing uh together baby and johnny develop a deep attraction but a relationship between them uh would be forbidden by both baby's family and the resort's management okay so there's a lot of interesting facts about this movie what i'm about yeah. to do is basically i'm going to give the very abbreviated version of the netflix show uh the movies that made us uh season yeah. one about dirty dancing there's yeah. you should watch that yourself there's so much to learn from that episode but i'm going to give kind of the abbreviated version of how this movie came to be so the script was written by eleanor bergstein and it contains a lot of elements of her actual life. So when she was young, she went to the Catskills with her parents. And she also did dirty dancing in basements. Like some, It's not exactly what you see in the movie, but it's something like it. And she was called Baby when she was younger. And her father was actually a doctor. So she says that that's probably where the you know comparisons end. But like that, she brought a lot of her life experience to the script. And I think you, it shows. So she ended up getting that uh, movie accepted by producer Linda Gottlieb. She took on the project. It was going to be made at MGM, but right after it was accepted, uh, the president of MGM was fired. So then they had a year, I guess, to shop the script around. And they shopped the script around. It got four rejected 42 times. So Dirty Dancing rejected 42 times. And Linda Gottlieb, the producer, said, quote, they were really afraid of a girl's movie. The studios were run by guys and guys wanted big, hard movies. So basically, Linda Gottlieb said they didn't get the movie. They didn't understand it. But eventually somebody did understand the movie. So the head of production at Vestron, Mitchell Canold, he read the script and he loved it. And it reminded him of his own experiences going to Catskills Resorts when he was younger. So Vestron ended up choosing Dirty Dancing as its first feature film of its Vestron Pictures division because they had previously just been Vestron videos releasing things to videos and they realized they were going to have to to compete with major studios they're going to have to start making their own pictures to release then they were going to make it there were a couple different casting possibilities uh, for the roles of 
Baby and Johnny. So for Baby, there's this actress called Pia Zadora, who is this like kind of blonde sex pop actress. And Vestra on Corporate initially wanted her, but she was like super wrong for the part. Um, mm-hmm. Other finalists, though, were Winona Ryder and Sarah Jessica Parker. And I guess Sarah Jessica Parker was the other main finalist. And then possible alternate Johnnies were Benicio del Toro, Adrian Zemed, who I guess was a dancing guy, and I then Billy him. Zane. Billy no. Zane. Oh my God. You have to, no, but he's a good actor, but you've got to watch the movies that made us uh, to see his dancing because it was kind of funny. And he- so um, initially, Patrick Swayze was kind of like overlooked, despite him, like uh, Eleanor Bergstein loved his look. She wanted him for the part, but he was overlooked initially because he had no dancing on his resume because he had this knee injury and he didn't really want to be known as the dance guy. Um, but Emil Ardolino, the director, knew that Swayze could dance because Emil Ardolino was active in the New York dance scene and so was Patrick Swayze. So that's how he ended up being considered. Um Jennifer Grey initially didn't want to act with Patrick Swayze because they hadn't gotten along well on the film Red Dawn, which they were both in. Yeah. Yeah. And the movie filmed in two different locations in the South for 45 days. They couldn't afford the Catskills. Then when the film was finished, when it was initially shown to Hollywood producer uh, Aaron Russo, and Aaron Russo had done like trading places. He's a big kind of hotshot. He was just like coming in to give advice. He said, quote, Burn the negative and collect the insurance. So that's according to Mitchell Canold. And that's nuts. I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's insane. So fortunately, there was a test screening note to to 1,000 real people, and it was very successful. And of course, the film became a huge hit. The soundtrack became a huge hit. The budget was about $4.5 million, and it went on to gross almost $214 million worldwide. And then the soundtrack also was hugely successful. It sold, it sold 32 million copies and it spent 18 weeks at number one on the Billboard chart. And it did win an Oscar for Best Original Song for I've Had the Time of My Life, but no, no other Oscars. So, okay. yeah, okay. a wild saga. <laughs> it really we've is. A, we've yeah. had a lot of these on every rom-com. We've had a lot of these movies where, oh, like, they were sure this movie was going to suck, and then it didn't, and it was a hit. Like Just, you know? And then what about that that big shot producer? Thought it was crap. But, what yeah. if, you know, it just goes to show, like, I don't know. I, I'm a big proponent of, like, screw that guy <laughs> like what do they know you know i mean that's that's not a movie he wanted to see but yeah. there is a, obviously a gazillion other people who did and i'm glad yeah. that they went and tested it and didn't like just take his word for it like sure. trust your trust your voice trust your gut you know follow your heart in these cases so anyway so so what's uh, Sophia? Did you see this movie when it was first out? Like, I'm curious. <laughs> like, not in the theater, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess shortly after it came out on video. How about you? I I'm not positive I saw it in the theater, but I know I saw it like really soon, like after yeah. it came out. Like, I think I was in like the third grade. I want to say maybe the second grade, but I think the third grade. Like yeah. every girl had seen it. Like every girl had seen it. Like our friend Jenny actually wrote a comment on my Facebook though this week that said her mom was really mad at my mom because she let us watch Dirty Dancing. I'm like, really? I felt like everybody just saw that movie. I know it was considered kind of racy, you know, like it had had dirty in the titles to be like, ooh. Right. (laughs) Right. And people grinding against each other, like even in the trailer. So, but yeah, 
it made a big impression on me at that age. Like, like I said, on a romancing the stone episode, uh, romancing the stone, I got my first glimmer of what sex might be about. And then this movie was like more information to that. (laughs) (laughs) More information. I've got more information. Take out your little notebook and make notes. Um, Or like just in your brain, like file that info away. Yeah. But I think this was also like the big sleepover movie for a while. Was that your experience? Yeah, the sleepover. So is Top Gun, and mm. it's about the same year. And then that hot scene with you know, take my breath away. Definitely later on, I remember this being my like kind of end of summer film that I watched at the end of the summer. Mm. Um, just as I guess, kind of like one last summer. You know, obviously I was like I don't know twelve watching it, so I had no summer romance at twelve, but like knowing that that would be like so great and totally romanticizing that. And yeah. And wondering why your parents didn't take you to a resort with a hot dance teacher. Like what's, <laughs> what, like, what's wrong with us? <laughs> I know. So how has the movie aged for you over the years? Like, is it still something you would watch like once a year or something like that? Or I've just seen it so many times <laughs> that I, I don't know if I can watch. Does that make sense? Like it's, I, I've maybe worn it out a little bit, but like I still love it. But as far as like every, everything is really aged well, actually. How about you? Oh, for me, it's like it's only gotten better, actually. Like um, mm. I think it's a top 10 movie for me now. I think it's like mm. officially in my top 10 movies now. My favorite of all time. Like yeah. b- because uh, because I think it's just perfectly done. And I'll talk a little bit about that more later, why I think it's perfectly done. But it's just like it's so resonant with me. Like there was this meme on Facebook for a while where like you're supposed to pick three characters from film or literature or TV that perfectly describe you, put them together. And Baby House, Francis Baby Houseman was one of them. Like Mm. her, her, that character meant so much to me because it was like a character where there's a girl in a movie who's smart and she's idealistic Mm. and political. And she's like not the prettiest girl in the room necessarily, but like she she's the star of this movie right Mm -hmm. and she matters and that meant a lot to me because when I was growing up I was kind of the awkward nerdy girl and like but I had ideals and I I just I felt like I saw something in myself in her and she's so brave too like we'll see later in the movie she's very outspoken and she goes for what she wants and so that was like a role model to me when I was younger a cinematic role model and then I think I am embody a lot of the qualities she had later so yeah she's it's very close to my heart and honestly, when I just watched it again for the podcast, I actually cried a little bit at the end. I'll talk about why later, but I, oh. I cried. I don't think I'd done that before, but I was like, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Without yeah. Spo- We won't spoil anything right now, but I'll talk about it later. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, that's how I feel about this movie. <laughs> I think everybody should see it. If you haven't seen it, go watch Dirty Dancing, for goodness sakes. 100%. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into the cast and crew now. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of the crew members and then take it, turn it over to Sophia. So Eleanor Bergstein, my gosh, a writer. I love the writers of the movies, okay? Because you can't have a good rom-com without a good script. You just can't, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. You, that's the foundation. And we have another female screenwriter here, female screenwriter based writing based on her own experience. So I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, she hasn't had a lot of writing credits. She only has four writing credits on IMDb. So, and one of those is, is an, a based on credit that she got for the ABC remake of Dirty Dancing, which we will talk about later. Um, <laughs> she didn't really have anything to do with that, but they have to include her because she wrote the characters and story, et cetera. 
And um, previously, before Dirty Dancing, she wrote a romantic comedy called It's My Turn in 1980. And that had Joe Clayberg and our good friend Michael Douglas. And now I really want to watch that because I'm like, yeah, I want to see more of what Bergstein was up to. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to write and direct a movie called Let It Be Me, which is a romantic drama, which also involves dancing. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, she used aspects of her life experience to write the script. And she also was very careful to put political and moral issues in the movie. So a quote that she has from the movies that made us quote, I believe in getting moral issues into movies that everybody will go to because they have love and pretty clothes and romance and a lot of sex. And then maybe you'll change somebody's mind. So I love that. She's, she's, Mm -hmm. she knows what she's doing. She's writing a great, enjoyable, pleasurable picture, but she's also putting something of substance into the movie. Mm-hmm. And she purposely wrote in both the dancing and the abortion subplot in such a way that they were intrinsic to the plot and couldn't be edited out later. Cause she tried to put dancing in it's my turn and it got edited out. And obviously abortion, you know, was and mm-hmm. remains a controversial subject. So mm-hmm. she was able to keep that in because you can't make the movie without the abortion subplot. Yeah. And yeah. another great thing about Bergstein which makes her so foundational to the success of this movie is that she made a cassette tape of the sixties music that she envisioned for each scene. And it's largely the music that you see in the movie, like almost all of it got in. And like, so she basically was the music supervisor for the movie too. Yeah, somebody else huge. had to go out, somebody else had to go out and get the music granted and the rights. So I don't want to like, you know, poo poo, right. like the work that went into that, but she envisioned that music and mm-hmm. it's so perfect. And it's just like amazing. So yeah. I just want to give her credit for coming up with that soundtrack essentially. Okay. And then. The director they found was Emil Ardolino, and he was chosen to direct Dirty Dancing because he had made an Academy Award-winning documentary um, called He Makes Me Feel Like Dancing. So he hadn't made a feature film, but he'd made this documentary, which is about 50 minutes long, with with the dancing element. And I think he was just a great choice. It'll prove later when we talk more about the making of. Um, He'd also directed other dance specials and TV shows. He'd won three Emmys um, making those dance specials. And then after Dirty Dancing, I did not know this. He went on to direct Sister Act, Chances Are, Three Men and a Little Lady, and a TV movie of Gypsy. So I had no idea he was responsible for it, like especially Sister Act. I'm like, wow. Yeah, same. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, he died of AIDS in 1993 at age 50. So that's just wow. really sad. I'm sure he could have gone on to do so much more work and just like an extraordinary talent. Yeah. Oh, man. And then there's Kenny Ortega, who uh, was the choreographer. And uh, his fir- first credit for film choreography was Xanadu in 1980. Yeah. And I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love Xanadu. You know, I still haven't seen Xanadu. Oh, like, my God. Being am I? I know. Oh, I'll my God. It's, it. it's delicious. Okay. I mean, it sounds delicious. So he also choreographed uh, the Material Girl video, uh, Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller's Day Off prior to Dirty, Dirty Dancing. And after Dirty Dancing, he choreographed Shag, which is another favorite yes. of ours. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he's director of many music videos. Um, first directed work outside of music videos was on um, Dirty Dancing, the TV series in 1988. 
And then he went on to direct and choreograph Newsies, which I love, Hocus <laughs> Pocus, the high school musical movies, one, two, three. Oh, and The Descendants, which is like my daughter loves those movies, um, Disney Channel. And among other things, he directed 12 episodes of Gilmore Girls. Um, and he recently directed and choreographed the TV show Julian the Phantoms. Um, and he is set to direct the upcoming Dirty Dancing sequel. Okay, and then there's Patrick Swayze, who plays Johnny Castle. He grew up in Texas, and his mother was a choreographer and a dance teacher and a dance school owner. And he had dance training in New York with Harkness Ballet School and the Joffrey Ballet. He did some dance work, including playing Danny Zuko in Greece on Broadway. And his film debut was in Skate Town, USA, 1979. <laughs> I want to see that now. <laughs> And prior to Dirty Dancing, his notable works included The Outsiders, which I absolutely love, um, Red Dawn, and North and South. Other popular roles included uh, Ghost, very good, as well as Roadhouse, Point Break, which is fantastic, and a supporting role in Donnie Darko, which I don't remember at all. I don't remember. No, you don't? That was big when he was really praised for that when that came out. I, oh, I yeah. feel terrible. I don't remember that. That's okay. Um, and then he appeared as the dance instructor in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. And sadly, he died of pancreatic cancer in 2009 at the age of 57. And he's survived by his wife, Lisa, um, whom he met when she was a student at his mother's dance studio. Yeah, they've known each other for a very long time. Like, yeah. that's a very long-standing Hollywood romance. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so oh. I'm going to talk about um, Jennifer Grey, who plays Francis Baby Hausman, so known as Baby for most of the movie. So she's actually the daughter of actor Joel Grey, who is best known as the master of ceremonies in the movie Cabaret. Um, her previous work before Dirty Dancing included Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So something a lot of people don't know, uh, just weeks before Dirty Dancing opened in theaters, um, Jennifer Grey was in a car accident in Ireland with her then boyfriend, Matthew Broderick, and he veered out of their lane and hit an oncoming car and the passengers in the other car died. So because of that yeah. accident, Jenna, yeah, because of that accident, Jennifer Grey felt a lot of survivor's guilt and she took some time off from acting. Her subsequent movies after Dirty Dancing did not do so well. She was in something called Bloodhounds of Broadway, which supposedly Madonna was into, which I've never even heard of, straight, wow. even though I was a huge Madonna fan in the 80s. So it must have been bad. Yeah. Um, and her, another film was Wind. And they were not successful. But I love and, Wind. I'm thinking oh, really? like one of two people who've seen it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love saw it. it a long time ago. I don't remember it. So, yeah. So after after these movies that weren't successful, though, she ended up she got a nose job in the early 90s yeah. and it really changed her appearance. Like and I, she wasn't apparently expecting that to happen to that degree. Um, yeah. So she was kind of unrecognizable. She did a lot of, you know, still TV work, TV movies and smaller roles and things. Um, she did appear in a TV show called It's Like You Know from 99 to 2001, <laughs> where she played herself and joked about her own nose job. And apparently she's been on the show Red Oaks, which I've heard of but haven't seen. And so she's been working steadily, but just not very visibly. And she had a Dancing with the Stars appearance in 2010 and ended up winning the competition with her partner. So well done. And she's currently working on a Dirty Dancing sequel as both an actor and an executive producer. And we will get to that later. Like, try trust me. Like, oh, we'll get to Yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> 
Okay. And then there's Jerry Orbach, who plays um, Dr. Hausman, baby's father. He is best known for Law and Order, and he's the voice of Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast animation uh, in 1991. And gosh, he uh, had done television work since 1958. Um, and his awards include 1965 Tony nomination as Best Supporting or Featured Actor in a Musical in a Revival of Guys and Dolls. Uh, a 1969 Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical for playing Chuck Baxter in the musical Promises, Promises. Um, and in 1960, uh, 1976, uh, Best Actor in a Musical nomination for the original production of Chicago. Woo! And he created the roles of El Gallo in the Fantastics and Billy Flynn in Chicago and Julian Marsh in 42nd Street. I just love him. He's a... Musical theater legend. Yeah, um, I had no idea about that aspect of him. Actually, I, I did, and uh, and and I just that's just near and dear to my heart. So then we have Cynthia Rhodes, and like um, Cynthia Rhodes was very prominent in the in the eighties. Um, she had very few. She has very few acting credits total, but she is a fabulous dancer, and she'd done dancing work mm-hmm. too prior to her film roles um, with the Tubes, largely the band. And prior to Dirty Dancing, she'd also appeared in the movie Flashdance. I believe she does the Manhunt number, which was like my favorite number in that movie. (laughs) She was great in that anyway. And she was also in Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Mm. And Wikipedia also said she had a small role in Xanadu, too. So maybe she met Ortega doing that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she only has one acting credit after Dirty Dancing, which is called Curse of the Crystal Eye. And it seems to be some kind of Indiana Jones ripoff. And then in turn, maybe Indiana Jones ripped off that title for Curse of the Crystal Skull or whatever the hell that fourth movie was. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Was it called that? I remember because I didn't watch it. Anyway. Um, um, (laughs) And then the reason she retired is because she... The reason she doesn't have so many acting credits is she actually retired from acting after marrying singer Richard Marks in 1989. And she raised a family with him, I think three kids, but they divorced in 2014. So it's a shame she cut her career off. But like, you know, you got to make choices to do what you want in Mm -hmm. life, you know, and raising a family Mm -hmm. is certainly great, too. But yeah, yeah, that's Cynthia Rhodes. I thought she was great as Penny in the movie. Yeah, totally. And then there's Kelly Bishop, who also had a stage career and was a dancer. She was a trained dancer. Oh, and tell what she plays. Tell what she, tell what she plays. Oh, she plays Mrs. Houseman. Yeah. Um, who has a very small role, but I wanted to put it in here, like an honorable mention to her, because she had a big career beforehand, before Dirty Dancing. She won a Tony in 1976 for a chorus line. And then later on, she went on to... Uh, be Emily Gilmore and the Gilmore Girls. And then when that ended, um, she was uh, on Bunheads and she appears on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And all of those are Amy Sherman Palladino productions. And then just some other actors who appeared in the movie. This is not exhaustive, but Jane Brucker plays Lisa Houseman, uh, baby sister. Jack Weston, who had a huge career, but more character roles, I think, played Max Kellerman, the owner of Kellerman's Resort. And then Lonnie Price plays his, I think, grandson, Neil Kellerman. Um, Max mm-hmm. Cantor plays Robbie, kind of an asshole waiter. Uh, <laughs> Neil, Neil Jones plays Billy, who's uh, Johnny's cousin. 
And Wayne Knight. Oh, I love it. So Wayne Knight, who's also better known as Newman from Seinfeld, shows up as kind of his name is, I guess, in the movie is Stan. But he's kind of this comedy guy who's always there, like either performing comedy at Kellerman's or doing announcements. And he's he's great. He also, of course, shows up in like Jurassic Park. So I always love finding Newman in the background of things before he was Newman. (laughs) Newman. (laughs) Anyway, I that's know. our that's our cast and crew. And there's a lot of other people, great people who made the movie possible. We don't have time to go over all of them, obviously. So I guess we will we'll get into the movie. So the opening of the film is a slow motion, black and white dancing montage. It's also part of the trailer. And it just I mean, what a setup. Ah, you like this is going to be hot. And that music, Be My Baby, performed by the Ronettes. Man, is it. It's just electric. And the radio announcer talks about summer romances and everybody's in love during transition to the car scene. Yeah, I never noticed that before this time. But like, it's like when I was picking it out just to see the structure of the film, I noticed how they transition from that, you know, that spicy, like, like, uh, what's it called? Teaser of what you're going to see in the dancing to mm. then they transition to this, like what's, what's this movie going to be about? It's going to be about love. It's subtly injecting that in there with that radio announcer. Mm. And then the music translate, the music from then uh, goes into um, big girls don't cry by the four seasons, which um, uh, Eleanor Bergstein referred to as clean teen music, like huh. not dirty music, clean teen. So, so to give it a different feel. And I think this car scene, this opening is like the perfect expositional introduction that I've ever seen. And like sometimes people don't like stuff that uses narration, but I think this is like a perfect use of narration. It gives you the time, situation, character, just bam, bam, bam. So it goes like this is the quote from the opening. That was the summer of 1963 when everybody called me baby and it didn't occur to me to mind. That was before President Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came, when I couldn't wait to join the Peace Corps. And I thought I'd never find a guy as great as my dad. That was the summer we went to Kellerman's. Mm. Everything you need right there. You know what I mean? If you have like a passing knowledge of the 1960s, which in the 1980s you would probably from at Mm. least your parents Mm -hmm. or people, adults watching it would know exactly what that meant before Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came. And then kids would know from their parents. I don't know about people today. I don't know if they have as much of a sense of the decade of the 60s and how significant it is that this is set in 1963, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, Eleanor Bergstein pointed out in the, in the commentary that Baby's reading a book uh, called Plight of the Peasant. So, mm. like, she's already preparing for the Peace Corps. And so, you, visually, you see her very serious with her book. And then you see next to her, her sister, Lisa, who's doing her hair with a mirror because probably they're about to re- arrive at the resort. And it's just like a perfect little portrait of the two sisters. And then you see Baby reach up to hug her dad who's driving and he smiles. And you're like, okay, she's daddy's girl. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, it's like, I love the setup. It it's, it's, uh, does so much with so little. And then let's talk about the members of the family. So I already talked about Baby a little bit. So she's in the Peace Corps. She has concern for the world. She's kind of the serious sister. And like when they arrive at Kellerman's, initially you see her helping the staff with the bags. So she has like class consciousness. Well, then there's her sister. She's like, somebody has those coral shoes. I can't wear my coral shoes. And it's just like very concerned about looking pretty. And then her mom, you know, her mom's mind is kind of on the two. She's like, well, you can wear something else and then no one's going to know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
Yeah, what do you think about the mom character? I don't think she's filled in a lot. I think she seems like she's a warm person, you know? And, like, yeah. later in the movie, we see more of her personality. But at first, you just kind of get a general impression of pleasantness, I would say. Yeah, she isn't filled out well, is she? So we kind of get the basic introduction to this family, baby, you know, the dad, the sister, the mom. And and we also get placed in the 60s. I just want to like, for people who don't know a lot about the 60s, 1963 was an important year because Kennedy is assassinated that same year in November. So this is like right before the storm. And then of course you later on Martin Luther King, like Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X get shot, all of them. And um, in the 60s becomes more turbulent. And you get the light side of the 60s in this movie. You get the music, you know, these wigs later on in a scene of Cleopatra and Jackie Kennedy. But you also right away when they get to Kellerman's, like the dad's already referencing the um, the Vietnam War and police dogs in Birmingham. Because, yeah, because Lisa's upset about the coral shoes. The mm-hmm. mom's like, it'll be okay. And the dad's like, this is not a tragedy. And and he and baby are like, tragedy is like police releasing dogs on protesters in Birmingham and um, monks burning themselves in protest. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of, there, there was already some dark stuff going on that people that they're aware of. Yeah. So they arrive at Kellerman's and like, I hadn't, I didn't really know about this aspect of the movie um, when I was growing up, like I just thought, oh, it's, you know, just like a resort and people do that sometimes, I guess. Maybe they do it on the East Coast. But I didn't know like what the significance of Kellerman's really was when I was growing up. And I kind of knew a little bit more of as I got older and especially when they came out with Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two, that mm-hmm. there was this whole culture of Jewish summer resorts in especially in the 1960s. So I did some research on this. I'll put the links in the show note. So there was a culture of Jewish family resorts in upstate New York. Okay. And it was an area that became referred to as the Borscht Belt. Okay. And this, these resorts like started popping up as early as the 1890s, but they peaked from the years 1940 to 1965. And that's been named the golden age of the Catskills. Okay. And most of these resorts largely closed by the 1970s, just due to various cultural trends Um, The resorts were often named after the family that owned them. So just like in Dirty Dancing. And the reason these resorts kind of sprung up was that Jewish people were often kept out of many non-Jewish resorts and hotels, you know, during the earlier years of the 20th century. So Mm -hmm. they created their own culture, basically, and their own resorts. And wives and children would often spend weeks and months in these resorts during the summer. And husbands would often like join them on the weekends. Like that was pretty common. Um, And Kellerman's in particular was based on Grossinger's. Um, That's a place where Bergstein visited as a youth. And it closed in 1986. Grossinger's was huge. Um, It had a dining room that could hold 1,300 guests. It had its own airstrip and post office. And apparently it was the first resort in the world to use artificial snow for skiing. And I found pictures of people who went to Grossinger's. Lots of celebrities went there. Just a few. There was a picture of Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds um, with their wedding cake at Grossinger's. Okay. And there's a picture of Jackie Robinson there, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Jennifer Gray's father, Joel Gray. (laughs) So awesome. that's That's kind of cool, like bringing it all back. And anyway, so this was like a huge culture. And like, I think it's awesome that there's a film made about this like very specific thing. And just to remember that Jewish people in America, you know, were discriminated against and remain discriminated against today in many cases. And that like, it's kind of amazing and awesome that one of our the most treasured rom-coms in our canon 
is about a Jewish family, you know, and it's not a big deal that they're a Jewish family, but it's awesome that like that's represented. If you listen carefully when you watch Dirty Dancing, you can hear little hints of it. Like you'll hear the comedy guy be like, Rabbi, blah, 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 is giving a lecture on the psychology of insult comedians or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like in the background. So you'll just get little hints of that. Okay, so the actual filming locations for Kelly Minso, they could not film in the Catskills. It was too expensive. So they used a place called Mountain Lake Lodge in Pembroke, Virginia. And they used that for the main building, the dining room, the kitchen, the gazebo, baby's cabin. But there was a lake there, and the lake has been gone since 2006. The lake just went wild. Like, dried up. It's so sad. Yeah, yeah, it's really sad. But the Mountain Lake Lodge, uh, despite its lack of lake... <laughs> offers uh, dirty dancing weekends that you can go to, which include dance lessons and dance parties. And like uh, they filmed part of the movies that made us there and you could see the dining room looks exactly the same. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And they filmed additional scenes at a boys camp in Lake Lure, North Carolina, which does have a lake. (laughs) (laughs) The lake remains. (laughs) (laughs) And, And they filmed there the staff cabins and a room where the finale was shot. Unfortunately, those buildings are no longer there, though. But to make up for that, Lake Lure hosts a yearly Dirty Dancing Festival, unfortunately currently on hold due to coronavirus. But maybe in the future, we'll get our act together and we can do that again. And to unify the two locations, they used white light posts like that you'll see throughout the the movie, like little white posts marking the the paths. So oh, that's so fun. clever because it's such a simple thing, but it really tied. You wouldn't know it was you wouldn't know, would you, that it was different places? Right. Oh, no, 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 no. Movie yeah. magic. Love it. And like, seriously, I'm now considering like going to both of these you sites. Want, you like, want to do it for like, one of my anniversaries, maybe. Be like, <laughs> can we can we do that? But, you know, obviously when when COVID is passed, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I just, I really wanted to quickly, before we start in on more of the plot, draw out like that there's, there's three sort of threads and themes that are introduced into the script so cleverly, like right away. So you see the dance thread right away. Immediately her Penny, our baby's family is kind of sent to Penny's dance class on the gazebo and they show baby being kind of an awkward dancer and not enjoying herself very much. Mm-hmm. And then you see the theme of class really quick. Uh, baby overhears Max Kellerman uh, talking to the waiters saying there are two kinds of help. And he's talking to the Ivy League waiters and saying, like, you guys are, like, the ones I recruited from Yale and Harvard, et cetera. You should, like, entertain the girls, like, and, you know, be kind of the face of the resort. But then he, like, sees the kitchen staff and the dance staff and he's like, hands off. You don't get to, like, fraternize with the guests. You need to stay away from them. He's just, like, very disdainful towards them. Mm -hmm. And that really introduces the class divide in a very clear way, like, right away. And then um, she also sees Johnny for the first time, like when he walks into this lecture that Max Kellerman is giving. She looks at him and you can tell she's into him like right away, which is yeah. great. Yeah. And and then you see the family dynamics right away, too. You Right away, you get the baby is daddy's girl and you get that Lisa is interested in romance and Robbie, the waiter's flirting with her. Um, you see that her dad is signaling that Neil, the resort guy's grandson, is the appropriate love interest for her. And then you see them like dancing later on. I think I think the script is really well done, don't you? Oh, it's per it's pretty darn it's perfect. It's, it's just like bang bang bang. Yeah, yeah. Interesting about how Neil is the appropriate 
love interest. And, well, and he's dad. going to the Cornell School of Hotel Management, Sophia. No, I know, but like, you know, baby's going off to the Peace Corps. What does she care about being with a guy who owns? Do you know what I mean? Like, if, sure. Like already now, now looking at it, looking back, looking on it through my grown up eyes, like that dad, as much as he loves his little girl, like he. I don't know, isn't taking her seriously from the get-go, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't Mm -hmm. really see her. Because if he did, he wouldn't be like, you know, here, marry this nice boy. And you'll you'll do your Peace Corps thing, and then you'll come back, you know? It's like... Do you mean this or not? And or maybe anyway. maybe he thinks she's going to get dating experience with this guy. Maybe he's not thinking they're going to end up together. But like you know, just like you can learn to dance with him, or you know what I mean. Because <laughs> like, in those days, I do think people did like like date a few people, maybe in this very light way, like just dancing socially and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Who yeah. said that? Somebody's grandparent was like, ah. We were all out dancing together and then I, you know, had all kinds of dates and you just went out and you had a date and it was, yeah, Yeah. it wasn't this thing. Yeah. So baby, after dinner, baby and Neil are dancing like this very tame dance, like together. I, I, they call it the home of the family foxtrot. I don't know if that's actually what they're doing, but they're doing this like little, like polite dance. And the funniest part to me is always there's these, at the end of the dance, there's two small children dance by them and they're dancing so much better than baby and Neil, but it makes, it really brings home the fact that like, this is like, children's time this is like baby's not grown up like even uh, these kids even these kids look more sophisticated than she does at this point do you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah <laughs> oh gosh and then the music changes and um johnny and penny come out to you know do a routine and you know it's the way that they get people to take dance lessons with them and baby uh you see you see johnny and penny through baby's gaze and um oh <gasps> It's a it's a kind of sexual awakening. Dances often uses that kind of a metaphor, you know, for sex and romance. And um, I mean, they're all doing this like polite, you know, foxtrot. And then they come out and do this, you know, pennies in this, you know, flowing. Is it red peach? It doesn't matter. She's in this gown and he's in a tux and mm-hmm. they and they do this, you know, Latin dance, which is. Yeah, I can you do know. the intro do, introduction music. It's like turn 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 turn. Okay, I set it up. I could I could do the soundtrack. That's funny. Um, and she's all like, "Wow, who are they? What are they?" And then Neil is already like, "Ugh, them," you know, and perpetuating that classism and like just you know. He's also probably jealous, though. Like, you know what oh, I mean? Sure. Like, I don't think it's just his classism. I think he's super jealous because everybody's like thinks Johnny is hot as fuck. <laughs> like, and he knows it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're amazing dancers. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, like you said, they're they're used to sell d- dance lessons. Like, they're doing this dance display, but they're basically there to entertain the guests. Like, and yeah. at a certain point, Max Kellerman like cuts them off. And then yeah. they have to go and like join the other guests and dance with them. Yeah. But yeah, like this is definitely like what's called in movies, the female gaze, like where you're looking at a hot guy through a woman's eyes instead of what you often see in movies, which is called the male gaze where you're looking at women and objectifying them. And like, this is like a movie where the woman's viewpoint is favored for sure. 
And even like she's admiring Penny too, though. She's not just looking at Johnny and saying like, oh, he's hot. She's also admiring Penny and like how beautiful and graceful they both are. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing I love is that then Neil asks her to join the games with him. Like, so she has to go over to this magic show right after this and she gets sawn in half. And yeah. to me, that's another, just like a great metaphor for like her position at the beginning of the movie. Like she is not able to be her whole self. She mm-hmm. is having to hold back. She is at other people's whims. Like I thought it was so great. Yeah. It's also a good visual, right? <laughs> No, yeah, because you get it from her side, you know, laying laying on her side and looking at the audience, and yeah, uh, which yeah, and then Newman from Seinfeld hands her a duck as a prize or something. I don't know. How humiliating! <laughs> I'm just like, yay. Okay, so uh, after this uh, thrilling evening, baby yeah. goes to the staff quarters, and there's a sign that says "Staff Quarters, No Guests Allowed," and Baby the Rebel's like, "Fuck it, I'm going up." Yeah. In her little sweater. And she you can hear the rock music from a distance, like in the air, which is such a summer thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And in that scene, apparently there were eight couples, the dirty dancing couples, who also play other background roles in the film. And they were responsible for, you know, filling in that scene with the expert dirty dancing. And like, mm-hmm. um, so dirty dancing is just kind of you're grinding on each other, basically, or you're like... You're really close to each other. You're moving with each other. It's a lot in hips. Like women are like throwing their heads back. Like, I don't know, like anything else you would add to that? Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little more free form. It's not like you're structured, um, you know. Yeah, it's it's way looser than than a ballroom thing, you know, yeah. where you're proper and you're, you know, you're counting steps or what have you. So and then, you know, the dance space thing, like there's no dance space here. You're all on top of each other. It's, yeah. it's just a different uh, and and like, wow, kind of way of moving together. You know, I remember people feeling pretty sh- I, people being shocked by this dancing in the 80s. Do you remember that? I remember certain people be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're showing that. Like, Gosh, do you, do you remember that? I can, no, I don't. But I can see people being doing that and saying <laughs> What? How terrible. But then like somebody like Baby and like circa 1963, you know, with her like polite upbringing and everything, probably to her, that would even be more like, oh, and her jaws kind of dropped and everything. Right. Yeah. 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 She's definitely staring and like this. Yeah. It's something like she's never seen before. So um, she ends up walking up into there with Billy, who's Johnny's cousin, and she carries a watermelon for him. Yep. And later, and later, Johnny's like, "What's she doing here?" Like he comes up to his cousin, like, "What's she doing here?" And and she's like, "I carried a watermelon." And then yeah. and then she goes to herself, "I carried a watermelon." Like she's yep. like, "I can't believe I said that." And that's my favorite line in the movie. Okay, there's classic. I don't, I don't care yeah. about the other famous lines. It's all about I carried a watermelon because like I've even said that too. When I've said something stupid or feel really awkward, I'll be like, "I carried a watermelon." <laughs> Just like yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So anyway, she's in there with Billy and like um, they start playing the song. Do you love me by the contours? Mm -hmm. And um, that's when baby and John or sorry, that's when Penny and Johnny kind of burst into the party and the party really begins and all the dirty dance is like, yay, it's it's the stars. Basically, those two are the stars of the dance staff. And -hmm. they're doing this like really awesome, like not as much dirty dancing, but more like active dancing with each other. 
still some dirty dancing. And that's when we learn that they are not, in fact, a couple. Baby's talking to Billy and finds out, no, they're not together. They've just known each other a long time. They're just dance partners. And um, then they play the song Love Man by Otis Redding. <laughs> and that's when Johnny, for some reason, crooks his finger at, at Baby in a come here mm-hmm. gesture and mm-hmm. teaches her how to dance. <laughs> Dirty yeah. dance. Uh, it's an interesting thing, right? Like, why does he do that? Is he like, ah, let me show this little girl a good time, you know, in a very, why do you think he does that? Like, I don't he... know. Just a... the, the romantic in me would say there's some level on which he's attracted to her. Um, the cynic in me would say, like, he's going to shock the little rich girl, you know, who yeah. invaded their, their territory, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it, maybe a, like, uh, if you're going to be here, why don't you join the party, you know? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a shock, shock kind of thing because it clearly, like, he's like, and the music's over, and he walks away. You know, yeah. Uh, the the uh, teaching and, her to yo go ahead. Yeah, the teaching her to dance. Boy, is she awkward. <laughs> yeah, she cannot get it like the hip movement. And to be honest, I used to try to do that when I was younger. I would try to learn. I'd watch the movie and I'd try to move my hips too, and I sucked at it. <laughs> like maybe if somebody was in person teaching me but my god i've tried to do that dance from that section so many times with no effect have you ever practiced did you ever practice that or have you ever not no not in the movie i have i mean i've taken dance over the years um and i did take some salsa when i was uh an adult in in brooklyn and um i actually noticed i'm like "Mm, i move my hips a little too much like i don't see the instructors moving their as much let me rein that in so uh i have no problem shaking my hips i'd I probably no do well with hips. i'm just not shaking my hips the way that you know like oh, she's, they do? she's moving her hips too but she's just like out of rhythm you know what i mean she's right. like out of sync with him and like same problem for me like whenever i've tried to emulate that scene from the movie it's like nope nope <laughs> so yeah and then okay. he leaves and she's kind of bumping and spinning in the air like mm-hmm. and she's clearly enjoyed herself Um, and they kind of get together at the end of his little lesson. They're kind of dancing like at the end of his lesson. It's good. But like, yeah, then he's gone. Yep. Mm -hmm. And okay. And this never occurred to me before, but like, I'm pretty sure Johnny's cousin, Billy was maybe hitting on baby. Like maybe he was interested in baby. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely less intimidating than Johnny. Right. And then Johnny stole his girl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my new that's my new headcanon that like Billy was really trying to get with baby himself and then Johnny stole his girl Ah, poor Billy left yeah. in the dust <laughs> okay so we're going next to what I call the wig scene because they're trying on wigs by the lake which like I didn't know that was like a summer resort activity but apparently it is in the 1960s and they're like trying on like a Cleopatra wig and a Jackie Kennedy wig and like Robbie comes up that waiter from the other night uh-huh. and flirts with her sister, Lisa ask not what your waiter can do for you, but what you can do for your waiter, like trying to freaking impersonate John F. Kennedy, you know? Yeah. And like, I'm pretty sure that speech he gave was the speech when he was talking about the peace corps. So it's kind of even doubly silly that he's like using it in front of baby, you know, mm-hmm. I might be wrong about that, but I think that is the speech where he talked about the peace corps. Hmm. I don't remember. You know, ask not yeah. what your country can do for you, but what you can yeah. do for your country. Because that's clearly yeah. what m- motivates baby. She's, you know, she's followed that call and he's uh-huh. being all cynical and using it to pick up girls. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> he's gross. <laughs> and Lisa loves it. 
Oh, yeah. Well, no, Lisa just wants to be loved, you know. I know. Poor Lisa. She's not, not thinking Daddy's about his politics. <laughs> and then um, Johnny and Penny show up. I think, like, Penny is, is she kind of leading this thing? Because she kind of looks like she's packing up her uh, wigs at the end there, whatever. I don't know. Anyhow, I she's never there. Huh. Yeah. And um, Baby looks at Johnny and she takes off her wig and shakes it out like she wants to not look silly in front of him. Yeah, and she has to shake out her hair and be like, it's me. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. See? me, Remember me? Um, and then Baby talks to Penny and just thinks like, you're a wonder, you know, tells her you're a wonderful dancer and I just think you're so amazing. And, and Penny doesn't hold back. I'm surprised, you know, like yeah. instead of you know, is it because baby's a kid? Like if, uh, you know, one of the older ladies had said to her, oh, you're so lovely. You know, such a, oh, she would have said like, thank you. But with baby, she's like, yeah, well, my mom kicked me out. And, uh, you know, so I dance. That's what I do. But then baby says, I envy you even after hearing your story. And Penny just like laughs and walks away. Isn't that interesting? Mm. You know, we admire yeah. baby because she's smart and she's going to, you know, go to college and, you know, do great things. But baby thinks that Penny is enviable, you know, because she's well, she's she's naive, you know, too. She doesn't yeah. really understand what people like Penny have dealt with. Like she can hear yeah. it without understanding it. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's the first sign that baby's not maybe as smart as she thinks. Well, right. You know, yeah. Because mm -hmm. even like looking at the, you know, the dancers, you know, she's going to go off to the Peace Corps and she's reading about like, when you, you can read about stuff, but then you get there and it's, it's way different. So even like her getting to see dancing in a different way, I think shocks the crap out of her, you know, and yeah. it's like, whoa. So, you know, she hasn't even left the country and she's already see, seeing a different side of life. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's got a lot of growing up to do, baby. So later that day, they're in the gazebo and there's like dancing going on. She, she's hanging out with Neil and her family. And baby's watching um, Johnny dance with this woman called Vivian Pressman. And um, who's played actually by the assistant choreographer, Miranda Garrison, I found out. Yep. And um, yep. yeah. And then Max Kellerman calls her a bungalow bunny because her husband is gone during the week and they're on weekends, which actually what I read was that was common. So like, I don't know, yeah. like, but um, she's clearly like um, interested in Johnny and perhaps has known Johnny better than, you know, just dancing with him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's, she's just hanging all over him and baby's like watching like, uh, <laughs> and then like Neil takes her out to the terrace and like, He's, he's saying, I love to see the wind blowing in your hair or some crap like that. <laughs> I know. Trying to be romantic. and Well, just you now talk about being the catch of the county and, you know, trying to talk himself up. And baby's yeah. so unimpressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they see Lisa and Robbie coming out of, like, a woods. And, like, Lisa's, like, inferring that Robbie's been trying to, like, take a sexual advantage of her that she didn't want. And, like, she's angry. And like, he's being a jerk about it. And then, yeah. and then Neil's like, sorry, you had to see that baby. Sometimes in this world, you see things you don't want to see. <laughs> it's like, and she's, and she's sitting there like, no shit, dude. Like, like yeah. 
So like the whole thing, um, sometimes in this world, you see things you don't want to see. So um, Eleanor Bergstein talked to the actor who played um, Neil and he hadn't been to a public screening yet. And he went to his first public screening. And after that line, sometimes you see, see things you don't want to see. Some girl in front of him said, yeah, like your face. <laughs> He's like in the audience for this movie. And he's like, oh, they hate me. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Poor, Poor guy. guy. <laughs> but I mean, really, he is just like, he's a nice actor, but he, like in the movie, he's just like this so like, smarmy, classist kind of like mansplaining asshole kind of guy, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not a total asshole. He's nice to baby in a way, but like, yeah, in a very condescending way. But then they... Um, I don't. I wonder how they transition. They they somehow go to the kitchen. Oh yeah, he asks if she's hungry. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Break that. Break that tension. And uh, and then, but baby sees Penny crying in the kitchen. And, yeah, just like, uh, crouched under this table. Yeah, yeah. Um, shaking and crying. And so, and to like get Neil out of there and to like get away from him. She's like, I should go check on my sister. Yeah. You know? And he's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. And then baby gets Johnny and you find out Penny's pregnant and, um, find out that it's by Robbie who's after Lisa mm-hmm. and that this abortion, she needs to get an abortion. And, um, it would cost $250, which apparently would be, 2200 today. Yeah, which is a lot of money for any just regular worker. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I think this scene's really good at showing the class dynamics um where where babies with Johnny and Billy and and Penny because babies used to money just being available. So, and she also mm. thinks that people are going to act honorably. So she's like, well, you know, we'll just ask Robbie for the money, you know, he'll, he'll, yeah. and then she's like, I already, Penny's like, I already did. And like, baby's like, there's gotta be some way to solve this. And Penny goes to baby, go back to your playpen, baby. baby. But then, um, you do see then baby going to try to solve the problem. So my, one of my favorite scenes is when she confronts Robbie, like he's pouring water into people's uh, glasses and the dining room. And she's trying to convince him that he has to be responsible and help, you know, Penny. And then Robbie's like, I don't even know if it's like mine. And he's being a jerk about it. And then he tells her some people count, some people don't. And then he tries to lend her this paperback copy of the fountainhead. And he's like, I think you'll enjoy it. But make sure you give it back. I have notes in the margin. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, what a total jerk. Like, um, I remember later, like, it it turned out that, like, Paul Ryan or somebody, like, some Republican politician, I think it was Paul Ryan, Fountainhead was his favorite book. And it's like, it just just made me think of Robbie the Waiter immediately. I'm like, oh, so you're Robbie the the Waiter. Robbie the waiter. I have not read the Fountainhead. Oh, it's this Ayn Rand book. And so Ayn Rand, I've read it. Uh, mm -hmm. um, Ayn Rand is very like um, libertarian economically. And she has this idea of like, I'm going to, I haven't read her in a long time, but I think roughly her idea is that great individuals are kept down when we try to do things to support the community as a whole. So like social programs, they might sound great, but really you're just keeping the great individuals down. You know what I mean? Like okay. they're going to get crushed under the uniformity of like being like everybody else or something. I don't know. It was kind of like a response to like some of the parts of communism, which aren't, I mean, there are parts of communist, the like actual governments that haven't been great where like they are trying to like, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, like have thought be all the same. 
Right. But like, right. If, if you can separate the economics out from that, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah. really have much to do with it, you know? So, but Ayn Rand did like many Republicans, politicians, like puts them together and it's like, well, inevitably, if you take care of people economically, you're also controlling their minds or something. I don't know. Anyway, not to veer too far off, but like, yeah, the fountainhead is definitely meant to signal that Robbie's a certain kind of person. So baby responds to this by this whole speech. Some people count, some people don't by like pouring water on Robbie's crotch and saying yep. like, stay away from me, stay away from my sister, or I'll have you fired. <laughs> That's so she's awesome. Kind of, she's kind of using her class advantage to threaten him because she knows that as a guest, she counts more than a worker, even if he is going to a, a Ivy league. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, I'm, I'm sorry. So you, yeah, you didn't know the fountainhead then as a reference. Okay. Yeah. No. A lot of the stuff in this movie is like kind of planted in where like when you know about it, it kind of enriches it, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. So then and baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She goes to the golf course um, to get the money from her dad and she lies to him. Ooh, do you think it was the first time she lied to her dad? In a significant way. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause he asks like, is it illegal? Like she can't tell, she says she can't tell him what the money's for. And then yeah. he asks, is it illegal? And she's like, no, daddy. No, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, being a very good girl myself, yeah, you could then lie and get away with shit. And um, people believed <laughs> it has its advantages when I was younger. I don't know that I got away with a whole lot or tried to get away with a lot, but I knew that I could, you know? Yeah. So um, after... Baby gets the money from her dad. She takes it to Penny and Johnny and Billy's there too. Um, and uh, Johnny says, yeah, it takes a real saint to ask daddy. Yeah. He doesn't get what it's actually cost her. Yeah. She, yeah. He really know. Yeah, and he's he like, does. and interestingly, he's very hostile to her for like the first part of the movie. Like, yeah. like but, but that works a lot in romances actually. Yeah. I don't think enough romances actually do that well. Yeah. You know, and it makes sense because like, why should he trust her? Like, you know, uh, and doesn't like that, you know, he calls her little miss fix it. And, uh, cause now we've come up there's a, you know, Penny says, I can't take it because there's this scheduling conflict. She's supposed to dance. And Billy explains all this at the shell Drake and, and, um, you know, can't somebody else fill in? And I, I love baby just believing the best in everybody that people will help and nobody or will. That they, or and, that they can help because everybody, because, because like what, what Johnny says, everybody works, everybody has a job here. Like nobody yeah. can fill in. Yeah. And then doesn't he say like, oh, what do you want to do it? You want to take time yeah. out from Simon Says and, yeah. and you do it. And, Billy's like it's not a bad idea and that's where they you know they hatch this plan of like come on Johnny you're a strong dancer you can teach anybody you can lead anybody and and baby's like no I can't dance I can't do it and he's like see she can't do it and then <laughs> but as soon as like somebody tells baby she can't do something you better believe she's gonna do it and then you know, yeah, she gets her. the stubborn eyes. She gets the stubborn, stubborn eyes. eyes. My my, Lee noticed that. My husband, Lee, he like, he's like, she's doing a lot of eye acting in this movie. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> she is. Like, yeah. And they, they do that classic cut from people being like, 
can't do it. Yeah. We're not going to do it to it happening. <laughs> I love yeah. when they do. I love when I notice that in movies because it happens a lot in movies. Once you once you notice that, it happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. And so they start. He starts teaching her how to dance and. Yeah, and before we get into yeah. the dance montages, I wanted to ask, like, like, are you a good dancer? Or, like, uh, do you think you'd be able to learn the routine that they end up doing for the Sheldrake? Not that, that I would be afraid to do that lift. Um, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an okay dancer. I took dance as a kid, jazz and tap, and then just tap for a long time. And then I, so from, like, eight through eighth grade actually and I stopped dancing when I got to high school because I'm like ah I don't want to do that anymore I want to try something else I wish I had kept dancing because while I'm not like an awesome dancer nor do I have the body of a classic dancer or whatever it was fun and I really enjoyed it and I took um like a swing dance class late you know for non-dancers with a couple friends and that was a lot of fun um so, so I'm a have, decent do you, dancer. You have a, a dance decent. background. Yeah. A so little like, bit. Like when I got to do community theater um, in Lake Geneva and we had to do a dance number, you know, so easy, easy choreography. They're like, oh, you've had dance, haven't you? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, by the way that you, you know, you move. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway. So like, do you think it's a realistic dance routine for like, I don't really know. It doesn't exactly give you a hint how long they had to learn the dance routine, but it seems like it's less than a week to me. Do you think that's like a realistic dance routine for somebody to learn in like that time frame? Sheesh. If you've never danced before, I don't know. You'd have to be really, I mean, you'd have to be confident. I don't know. Good question. I mean, she's done the, obviously she's done these really basic things, you know, with yeah. Neil on the dance floor or whatever, but yeah, like I'd always seemed a little unrealistic, but, but just realistic yeah. enough to make it seem like not impossible, you know, this dance routine. So right. my, and they, my, go yeah, ahead, go ahead. Well, no, it's just that they work constantly. So that yeah. helps. Yeah. If yeah. you were just like meeting for an hour every evening, no. <laughs> and like, it seems a little bit improbable to me that her family wouldn't notice that she's gone like literally all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. during this dance training, but you know, whatever. Anyway, so I, I'm not a great dancer in terms of like, I'm a great natural like dancer. If you just want me to do whatever, just dance to the music, sway to the music, groove, right. whatever. Sure. But like you give me steps and I start tripping over myself. Like I'll do aerobics routines that take me a little while to learn because of that too. So Yeah. I, I would have a very hard time learning this. And apparently Jennifer Grey had some dance background, but like she was basically being taught by Patrick Swayze during the filming of these dance montages, which is pretty cool. So you're actually like they had a teacher student dynamic in real life, in addition to mm -hmm. in the movie. So these um, dance sections of the movie, I think are really well done too. And it's basically like, Mo it's like basically mostly montage like there's some like mm -hmm. you know longer cuts like longer clips in them but like it's very it's very much a montage so there's the first part which is the wipeout section set to wipe out by the safaris and it takes you through the very basic phase of the dancing so you don't really have to deal with like listening to a lot of talk or watching mm -hmm. a lot of like boring stuff you see her just getting being terrible at first at the basic steps and then evolving over time, practicing by herself into being better and better. And while she's evolving as a dancer, her clothing is also evolving. So she, you see her mm. go from very like fully dressed in like uh, jeans and a short sleeve shirt, button up shirt to being in this like pink leotard and these like short jean shorts with a belt and these white sneakers, which is one of her like iconic looks from the movie. Mm -hmm. And then she's putting on lipstick 
Like later you're going to hear Lisa in the movie say, where is my beige iridescent lipstick? I'm pretty no. sure that's the beige iridescent lipstick. I solved the mystery. <laughs> that's awesome. Like Good I never, yes. I never noticed it before, but I'm like, she totally stole her sister's lipstick. And she, she's just trying to, like, you see her getting more and more sexy looking because she's obviously trying to, like, look good for Johnny, like, yeah. as this montage progresses. And then um, the second scene, the second sequence is the Hungry Eyes sequence. Ugh. And there's a break between the Wipeout sec- section and the Hungry Eyes section where um, Patrick Swayze, Johnny is going, like, um, it's more than the steps. Like, it's a feeling, a heartbeat. And he goes, gug, gug. Mm-hmm. which is just like in strictly ballroom like listen to the rhythm you know oh, what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's this heartbeat thing and then he also talks about like uh how she like he also does the famous line look spaghetti arms like where her mm-hmm. arms are not in the frame this is my dance space this is your dance space and he's trying to get her form right and then you just see like a whole bunch of practice to the song hungry eyes by eric carmen you pretty much hear the whole song which i love yeah. And it's it's it gets like increasingly like more sexual and intimate because first you see Johnny, Baby and Penny are all kind of dancing together. Then Baby and Penny are dancing while Patrick Swayze watches. Mm-hmm. And then Baby's finally dancing with Johnny. And so like one of the famous scenes, parts of this montage is when like you see her, she's got her arm raised up and Patrick Swayze is running his arm, one of his hands down kind of her underarm and around her breast area and like her waist and she keeps laughing like be like she's being tickled or something. Right. And he looks so irritated and like, that's really them. That was yep. really Patrick Swayze and Jennifer, you know, this too. That's really yep. Patrick Swayze and Jennifer gray. They, they were not acting there. Emil Ardolino probably because of his documentary filmmaking background just kept filming. I, f- yep. I feel like that's probably why he did it. Like Emil Ardolino and why he was mm. such a brilliant choice because he's used to filming dancers. Right. And he's used mm-hmm. to capturing real life action where you never know exactly when the good stuff's going to come from. So even if it wasn't in the script that way, like he saw, you know, he saw what was real and true. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know? hilarious. That's a, yes, that is a, I had heard that before. It's cl- kind of classic lore of the film that that scene, you know, She's cracking up. She's getting tickled and he's getting so pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and that song, Hungry Eyes. Okay. I listen to the 80, 90s channels in my car when I get to get in my car and drive by myself to go pick up my Target run or whatever. Those are my stations. And Hungry Eyes plays all the time. And I love it. And I turn it up yeah. loud and I'm so happy. <laughs> That's my. So, that's one of my karaoke jams. It's a great song, and uh, and, I, and I love that you hear the whole song. These days, I watch movies, and like I watched recently, part of Fear Street, nineteen ninety. I can't remember which year. Anyway, I watched part of that, and like they're changing songs, like every like ten seconds. Sometimes I swear to God, they have these awesome songs that they've licensed somehow, and they just keep changing, 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 changing. It's just like in the same scene, there'll be th- three different songs, and I'm like, why? Why can't you stick to one song? And what I think it is, is they're just not filming anything compelling enough, you know, to hold your interest. So instead they think they're going to just change the music. Like Dirty Dancing, on the other hand, you're watching just avidly every frame, you know, Mm -hmm. you're seeing the chemistry, you're seeing the excellent choreography, the dancing, the acting, and you're just riveted, right? You don't need to change the song. So like, yeah. If you watch for that in modern movies, watch for that in things made in the last like five, six years, you will see them doing that. And it's a cheat and it, and it's, and it doesn't leave you feeling anything, you know, you just feel like, oh, exhausted almost. 
Anyway, um, the other thing about this sequence, everybody is wearing progressively fewer clothes in these montages. <laughs> like, like soon, like Patrick Swayze has no shirt at all. You see, like the muscles of his back working. Like, baby's yeah. wearing this tiny little crop top and basically what looks like underwear. Like Penny's in her leotard. Like everybody's just like getting nakeder and nakeder. And I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, they're sweating to death think there's no air condition in these studios it's summertime i mean yeah you just gotta go with the flow right yeah <laughs> so at this point she's a pretty good dancer by the end of this montage and then we get to this like sequence where they're yelling at each other it's raining outside like because they're trying to do like some more you know difficult dance moves and then like this, okay, this is the one thing in the movie that like, I'm like, what? Like, they're yelling at each other. It's pouring rain outside. And Patrick Swayze's sol- solution, Johnny's solution is, well, let's get out of here. And I'm like, why? Why are they getting out of here? Because like, they leave the dance studio. They go to his car. He's locked the keys in the car. And his solution is not to go back to the dance studio and wait for it to stop raining or, or call somebody. His solution is to break the window of his car and yeah. drive away to somewhere. <laughs> like. While in the rain, rain, in the pouring rain. But then yeah. mag- magically, the place they drive to, it's not raining anymore. <laughs> I'm like, it's like, like, it makes no sense. I don't mind, but it makes yeah. no sense. It's like, oh, Johnny has magical weather powers and he knows that like 10 miles away, it's not raining. <laughs> it, it only rains here. You know, it's so funny that like, right, never... Never question why they leave. Never question any of that. Totally bought it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not the most important thing. I just noticed it this time and I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> then they get to this woodsy area and they're on this log and the song Hey Baby plays by Bruce Channel. Uh, such a great tune. Mm. And um, Johnny talks about how he became a dancer and he gets her out on the log and they start dancing on, on this log over a, a creek or something. Yeah. To practice balance is the theory. No dance class I've ever been a part of has said, go and dance on a log over a, a, <laughs> yeah. a creek where you could fall and break your neck. And apparently Patrick Swayze did fall according to the movies that made us. I don't know how serious it was, but he did. And Jennifer Grey, I think had a stunt double for that scene. You don't really see her face. So I think, yeah. She was smart. Uh, and she was like, uh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they practice the lift in the water. And, um, and from the legend lore that I've heard, like it was freezing. Mm-hmm. It's not summertime in the South. It was the fall. And they, yeah, this is not just legend. This is like E online confirms this too. Like she, Jennifer Gray had to go to the hospital for hypothermia after oh, they, after they filmed that. And and if you want to do this at home, like it's you're not it's not going to be as easy as you think because like Kenny Ortega was apparently underwater in a wetsuit holding Patrick Swayze's legs in place so that he wow. could because it's hard to stay in place in the water if you've ever tried to do something yeah. with balance in the water. But it sure looked cool. I, it did. That is like to me that is one of the most romantic scenes in the whole movie. I, there's nothing I love better in summer than being in a lake. There's nothing I love better than playing in the water with someone you love and like, oh my God, the best. Like if I could reenact something, I would reenact that. But now I know I need to get another person to come and like hold Lee's legs. (laughs) Awesome. But then they do it. 
they do the Sheldrake sequence. They get there that after all of that. Oh, and oh, sorry, I should have put like um, we should introduce what the Sheldrake is too. Like so. Oh, it's yeah. another it's another resort that um, the dancers will you know go and perform at um, yeah. nearby. Um, and Penny and Johnny had, you know, a gig there, a performance. Um, but yeah. this is the night that Penny's going to have get the, the abortion. abortion. Yeah. Get the abortion. And, uh, and she, it's really sweet. The before she's helping baby get ready and she confesses to baby that I'm, I'm really scared. And, and she tells baby that she loved Robbie and that, you know, she thought he loved her, that she doesn't sleep yeah. around, you know, that's, you know. She's not just, she really wants baby to know that who she is. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they get Sheldrake there. Thing, oh, go ahead. Um, I was just saying like, so the Sheldrake sequence, it's kind of like the type of event, like big thing that would be the climax of a lot of movies, right? Like this is what they've been preparing right. for the performance. So like in a lot of like, dance movies, especially this final performance is like the thing, right? But instead mm-hmm. this is kind of the midpoint of the movie. And um, baby still has a lot of tests ahead of her in this film. And a lot of uh, stories still need to be resolved. And the the Mm -hmm. performance is called Mambo Magic. And I feel like her dancing in the sequence is just believably bad enough. Like she does screw up a couple of times and you hear Patrick Swayze or Johnny whispering to her like this way, like, like, or like, like, and like, she'll miss things. She, she can't do the lift. And instead she does this kind of like hand gesture dancing, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah, and, and it, yeah. they get through it. They get through it, but it's like believable. I thought. Yeah, it's perfect. I think it's perfect because yeah. you know she's nervous, and and that that's me. When I would have to do performances, I always missed the beat at some point and messed up my footing, like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, because I get nervous, and and then they're driving back in the car. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I thought. No, 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 no. The driving back in the car scene is also, you know, sweet, you know, because she's changing in the back. I think it's really funny how he, you know, peeks at her, you know, he while does. she's changing. That's the first time you really show see him showing interest in her romantically. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you uh, get the sense, oh, he likes her too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they're playing, they're playing some kind of wonderful Sorry, I just I like love that the song really makes that scene yeah. for me. They're playing some kind of wonderful by the Drifters. It's just like this really romantic song. So, and he tells her that she did a really great job, you know, and he means it. He's like, you know, you messed up, but you did great, and yeah, that's really sweet. He means it. Yeah. So when they get back, um, Penny's like in a lot of pain, and um, mm-hmm. Billy says the doctor wasn't like a legitimate doctor. He had a folding table and a dirty knife. and baby goes and gets her father. And so I wanted to give some background on this. Like, um, of course, abortion is still, you know, uh, a controversial issue today. And like abortion rights are under threat all the time. But um, abortion became legal in the U.S. in 1973 with Roe versus Wade. And so that's like 10 years after the time of this movie. And um, just some statistics about like what things were like at that time before it was legal. So just there was an article that said during the period of just just between 1972 and 1974, the because of Roe versus Wade, the number of illegal unregulated abortions plummeted, and as did deaths from illegal procedures. So between 1972 and 1974, illegal procedure deaths went down from 39 to only five annually. 
But according to an interview with professor of history, Carissa Hogberg of Tulane University, which was on NPR, deaths from illegal abortions per year, pre-Roe versus Wade, were approximately about 200 people per year in the U.S., So, and common methods of like, um, abortion in those days were like self-induction. So women tried to like fall downstairs or there's the, you know, the old coat hanger thing or taking, you know, like medicines that they shouldn't take or something. Mm. And, but, but other times, like there were actually a lot of doctors and midwives who would risk, you know, their careers and risk jail even to perform abortions. So that also happened. But it's also important to remember death isn't the only possible consequence of um, trying to do an unregulated abortion, illegal abortion. You can severely injure yourself. There could be damage to the internal organs, perforation of the uterus, infection. So that's, and according to the World Health Organization, worldwide, each year between 4.7 to 13.2% of maternal deaths result from illegal abortions because there's still a lot of countries where abortions illegal, especially in developing countries. And like the people practicing the illegal abortions, a lot of times just aren't qualified to do so, or it's self-inducted still. So yeah, that's like, this is like why it's such a huge thing that for Eleanor Bergstein to put in the film, why it was important to her and why she made sure that it was intrinsic to the plot because they did try to pull out the abortion storyline later. Like when the movie was finished, they're like, oh, we want a sponsor for this. We want Clearasil to sponsor the movie. This is real. Like, yeah. can you just take yeah. the abortion out? And she's like, well, the problem with that is the story <laughs> doesn't work if you take it out. And they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, so she was really clever about that. So in this scene, um, baby goes to get her dad to help Penny right away. And he comes in and, he, and he's like, who's responsible for this girl? Like, and Pat, and Johnny goes, I am. And so like, He's Johnny's saying it because like he's taking care of Penny. He loves Penny. You know, he, right. she's his, like one of his oldest friends. But Dr. Hausman assumes, and I think understandably now, you know, yeah. that yeah. like he got her pregnant. Like at the time I was kind of like, Dr. Hausman, why don't you understand Johnny? Like, why don't you know that he's good? But now I'm like, well, how could he know? <laughs> like right. he thinks that this guy like just sent his girlfriend off to get an abortion, like, and you know, like from a guy who hurt her, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I understand finally why Dr. Hausman was anti-Johnny. And he's really nice to Penny, though. That's another important thing. Dr. Hausman is really good to Penny and understanding and, like, treats her well and doesn't, like, slut-shame her or, like, get, you know, yeah. moralize over her. He just, like, wants to help her, which is super yeah. cool. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Okay, now we're going to enter the spoiler section. Just arbitrarily, but we're entering the spoiler section now. So if you haven't seen the movie, you better go see it. All right. That's all. <laughs> okay. So after this has all gone down, um, baby wants like baby or Dr. Houseman has not been very nice to Johnny, like, mm-hmm. cause he assumes that he did all this shit to Penny. So baby goes to Johnny's cabin with the excuse that she wants to apologize for her father. And Johnny's hanging out in his cabin shirtless playing these arms of mine by Otis Redding on the record player. And she's like apologizing for how her father acted. And, and, I was going to have a clip of this scene, but like the clips would not let me copy them because there's too much music in them for some reason. So instead we're going to do an edition of every rom-com theater. In, in which Sophia will be portraying Johnny and I will be portraying baby to the best of our ability. And um, this is us having their conversation in this scene. The reason people treat me like I'm nothing is because I am nothing. That's not true. You 
You're everything. You don't understand the way it is. I mean, for someone, somebody like me, last month I'm eating jujubes to keep alive. This month, women are stuffing diamonds in my pockets. I'm balancing on shit, and as quick as that, I can be down there again. No, that's not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. I've never known anybody like you. You look at the world and you think you can make it better. Somebody's lost, you find them. Somebody's bleeding. And I go get my daddy. That's really brave, like you said. That took a lot of guts to go to him. You're not scared of anything. I don't understand. I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, of who I am. And most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. Scene. Scene. <laughs> that is like my favorite dialogue. Okay. So remember way back when we were doing Moonstruck, my favorite dialogue that John, that, um, oh yeah, Ronnie, that Ronnie gave, like where he's talking about love is imperfect. The stars yeah, are yeah, perfect. Yeah. This yeah. is that's one of my favorite romantic lines. This like, I'm scared of what I did. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm most yeah. of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. That is one of my favorite lines from any movie of all time, but especially uh, romantic movies. And it's kind of like, it's why I identify with her. Like she's scared, but she goes for it anyway. Because right after she says that, she says, the music changes. It changes over to um, Cry, Cry to, to Me, me. by Solomon <gasps> Burke. And she goes, dance with me. And he's like, what here? She's like, yeah. And she seduces him. Yep. I'm like, yep. yeah. I mean, she kind of has to because of their power positions because like she's the guest and he's the worker. Right. Mm. And like he, like he could be in trouble. Like it's, it's kind of an, you know, precarious thing. And like, he's probably older. So like some older guys would take advantage, but I think in his case, he doesn't want to, he's a good guy. Yep. Oh man. You know, it's still kind of, I still get a little embarrassed where you like love this scene and feel empowered by it because I never in a million years could have or would have said what she said. I I feel uh, like a little like embarrassed that she says this to him. I'm like, I can't believe she did that. And like, I think it's great and I love it. But by the same token, I'm like, oh God. And I like kind of have to hide my head away. I have definitely said the equivalent. I haven't said the exact line because that would be like weird quoting from a movie. <laughs> but I've, I've, I've said the equivalent to many guys. I've been rejected sometimes. I've been accepted other times. The only part that I think I probably wouldn't do myself is like the she slides her hand over his butt. Like, I don't think I could no. do that part. That was, like a, that was huge when I was in third grade. I'm like, she touched his butt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that song. Talk about again the soundtrack just just being perfect. Oh man, yeah. so hot. So it is perfect. like the sexiest song. Like if you want to <sighs> get some lady in the mood, you got to play "Cry to Me" by Solomon Burke. That's the song. <laughs> That's the song. Okay, especially if you happen to be in a cabin, like in the woods somewhere, and have a record player. <laughs> oh man, and then. And then I realized, like, I always thought that I'd seen their first kiss in the movie, but you barely see it. Like, it just feels like a kiss. The whole scene feels like a kiss, but you barely see it. It happens within the dance. And um, I remember also the part in the movie when, from when I was a kid, the butt touching. And then when he takes her shirt off, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's taking her shirt off. And then his, like, rib cage, like, rubs against her breast. And, like, that, like, for me was, like, the sexiest thing ever when I was a kid. And it still yep. works. It's still a really not explicit, but because she's still wearing a bra and everything, but like very like hot sex scene. Totally. Yeah. Totally. 
<sighs> then how do you leave from that? Like, what does she do? She got, she must go back home, must go back to her cabin because they're yeah. at breakfast the next day. For parents who are very concerned, for a dad who's very concerned about his daughter, like what she's doing, like, I don't know how she gets away with half the shit she gets away with. I think she and Lisa must be in their own room. So or in their own cabin. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They're at breakfast the next day and clearly there's something going on. Like the, the dynamic has changed. There's tension and, you know, they're talking about going to the, the you're going to do the talent show. And he's oh, yeah. like, oh, we're, yeah, he's like, we're going to leave early. And, and then the mom and, and Lisa, they're like, what? We're leaving early. And baby's like, yeah. she knows. Wait, can I do the line? I want to do the line. I want to do Lisa's do the line. line. Do the line. Go ahead. Daddy, I missed the show, but I was going to sing in the show. <laughs> she does. She does such a Wisconsin O in that one. I love it. I know. But poor baby, like baby knows what it's about. And but nobody else does. Nobody else does. And the mom's like, why would we do that? You know, I she knows something's up, but obviously doesn't press, you know. Yeah. And um, so they decide to stay. And uh, baby goes to visit Penny. And it's realistically awkward between baby and Johnny. Johnny's there. And uh you know like hi hi and then <laughs> penny obviously knows what's going on and she tells johnny to be careful actually um, she tells him not even just to be careful she says like you have to end it like you have yeah to end it. And he's like i know what i'm doing yeah <laughs> and then yeah. like baby sees johnny out the door and she's not sure if they're still cool or not if they're still together and as he leaves to go do this dance lesson she goes johnny and her voice kind of breaks <laughs> yeah and- but then, like, he smiles at her, and she smiles at him, and you know it's okay. But it's so awkward. It's so precious. I'm just like, I know. Oh, I, I feel. So I understand that. Be- well, no, but it's not. But it's not really melodramatic because, like, when you've like first slept with somebody and you don't know sure. like, what ground you're on. Like, I've been uh, there. I have yeah. been there. Um, that's the feeling. You're like, is this going to be something? Did I make? You know, did I give my heart to somebody who, you know isn't going to reciprocate that. I mean, later yeah. they're even playing the song, will you still love me still tomorrow? Love me tomorrow. And yep. a theme between them, which is like, that's the song for that situation. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, so after this, um, we see a rainy day. Lisa's sick of the rain. She's like, where is my beige iridescent lipstick? And I'm like, I figured that out for you already, but you don't know. It's <laughs> wonderful. We get that's to the, wonderful. will you still love me tomorrow scene? Baby goes to Johnny after they've had sex. Obviously they're in bed together, kind of naked. And she's like, have you had many women? Yeah. Like being all sophisticated and he doesn't want to answer loving baby. Like he's in love with her too. And he's talked about how women have used him and um, like, that's maybe all he's known of love, uh, you know, except for probably was- Penny when they were younger. Cause it's insinuated they were together a lot, a long time ago. Yeah. 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 We also find out baby's real name in this scene. She says, Francis after the first woman in the cabinet and just like just to just to, for the record, that would be Frances Perkins. She's referring to who was chosen by Franklin Roosevelt as Secretary of Labor in 1933, and who, like Baby, went to Mount Holyoke. And apparently, she was influential in minimum wage laws and Social Security, among other things. And then, what I love about this is like he finds out her name, and then he never calls her Frances again. You never hear mm-hmm. anybody in the rest of the movie call her Frances for the rest of the movie. Like, okay, well, good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, okay, and then some just plot stuff happens. Like Lisa tells Baby, I've decided to go all the way with Robbie, and Baby tries to convince her not to do it. It should be with someone special. And like, is Lisa Baby's older or younger sister? Like, I've always thought older. 
I always thought so too. And and then I'm not like, I'm like, they never say so though. I don't think they never really give you direct evidence. So I'm not yep. sure. She just looks older. You oh, know? sure. Yeah, definitely. She looks older. And she's so called, I've, and baby's called baby, which probably means she's the baby of the family, I guess. Right. So, yeah, she's probably older. You're right. But I wonder what she does. Like, so she's older. Baby's about to go to college. What has her sister done? You well, know, in the she, beginning, she her, said Lisa's going to decorate. So maybe she studied interior decoration or something. I don't know. I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine she would go to school to study that, honestly. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, that's a curious. What's She's going to marry a guy like Robbie, I guess. But what are you doing in the meantime? What is she doing? I want to know. <laughs> I want Lisa to have a life. I want her to have some ambition besides marrying a Robbie. I'm telling you, she's decorating. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. That's, okay, that's okay, what okay. the film tells us. So we have to go by it. All right. Fine. 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 <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. Then we have the love is strange scene, which is like such a strange song. Like really. Um, it is. It is. But, but it works. Song. But it works. Like yeah. she, baby and Johnny are like, um, like lip syncing the song and doing these awesome dance moves, which end up being on the poster. Basically some of the dance moves they do in that scene. Yeah. And um, baby's also mocking Johnny's dance advice from the past because he's trying to be all over her and like make out with her. And she's like, spaghetti arms. Spaghetti this arms. is my dance space. This is your dance space. Yep. She's just like teasing him by keeping him away from her body. And then Neil, um, the grandson of the resort owner, almost catches them. He he comes to talk to Johnny about the final dance of the of the season and he's like I've got a great I want I want to spice it up. Johnny's like, "Oh, great. I've got ideas. I thought we could do this thing the thing." And and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, big guy." He does that whole patronizing yeah. thing again and he's like, "Let's do the pachanga." And he acts <laughs> like a jerk boss to Johnny in front of baby. Yeah. You know. And I always thought the pachanga like probably got a bad reputation from this movie. <laughs> like it's a perfectly yeah. normal dance from what I could like look up. It's like a Cuban dance, like whatever. But now everybody's probably like, oh, you want to do the pachanga like Neil? <laughs> yeah, like Neil, the pachanga. And then he says to baby, see that he gives you the full hour you're paying him for, kid. Yeah, because they've, they've, they've told him that they're doing dance lessons to like, you know, to give a reason why she's hanging out with Johnny. Yeah. yeah. And then after the scene, baby's trying to get Johnny to like fight against Neil, fight harder, which like mm-hmm. my husband really pointed out, like this really shows you, like he's with Johnny in the scene. Like he's really shows you like how baby still doesn't really get the class differences, like what Johnny's up against. Right. Like, cause right. like if he fought harder, he'd probably just get fired. Right. And then Johnny calls her in it too, because like, I don't see you fighting so hard to tell daddy that I'm your man. Yeah. They're, hi- they're hiding from her dad simultaneously on this path. Mm-hmm. While and he's, he's still and- walking with Robbie. Yeah. I know. Well, Why she has maybe tell her dad about Robbie for Christ's sakes? I don't know. Like, why would know. like because he's because he's hanging out with your sister? Like, wouldn't you like warn your dad? Like, come on. I guess then the it would lead to questions. How do you know? Why do you know? What do you know? Well, I don't but, know. But the dad yeah. already knows that she's been hanging get- out with the dance people, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's one. That's okay. That's one of the only other things like Mm -hmm. first driving from the rain to the no rain magically. And then that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Then we, we come to this um, scene just where like um, the radio announcer says it's Labor Day weekend. So we know the time and Robbie shows up by the cabins where baby's like visiting Johnny 
And he says, looks like I picked the wrong sister. That's okay, baby. I went slumming too. And then mm. Johnny beats him up, like not yep. fully. He like sends him off like, you know, before totally beating him up. But he, he puts him in his place. Mm-hmm. And then Lisa's talent show song. Oh, my God. So the actress who played Lisa, Jane Brooker, wrote the song. It's called Hulahana. <laughs> and she wrote it for the movie and and it's just like she's and she's a good singer in real life but she had to play like out of tune singing for this for this movie like this is part at the end where she's like away 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 or something yeah 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 it's so bad yeah. it's so painful yeah but it perfect good for her i love that she did that and like made herself totally ridiculous and everybody's kind of hanging out in this room, the big pavilion, preparing for the talent show. And, like, Baby's painting a set. And while she's doing that, Vivian Pressman's trying to get together with Johnny for their last weekend together, lover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Lisa, mm-hmm. Baby sees um, Johnny give the money to the husband and say, oh, I can't give your wife dance lessons. And she's like, that's right. And Lisa tells Baby she's going to sleep with Robbie. But then, oh, man. And then there's that song. Yes. Oh, that's the worst song in the movie, in my opinion. I hate that song. But yeah, it's about like, we're going to ha- sleep together tonight. Yep. Yeah. And she goes to Robbie's cabin and she's all ready to go. She's like, Robbie, <laughs> it's me. But there's the the towel or the sock on the doorknob, yeah. which is the universal sign for don't come in here. But she doesn't know that. And she opens the door and Vivian and Robbie are getting it on. And she's like so repulsive. Her yeah. reaction's so great. And then we go to the in the still of the night scene. So Baby and Johnny the same night are in bed together to the in the still of the night song, one of my favorites in the movie. And Johnny tells her he had a dream where Baby's father put his arm around him instead of Robbie, which is so sweet. Yeah. But then while, while Baby's leaving Johnny's cabin, Vivian's leaving Robin's, Robbie's cabin, and she sees Baby and Johnny together, like after Whoa. Johnny rejected her. And this yes. goes right into... The accusation. So I've got a clip of this um, accusation scene. I'm going to play that really quick. Mo Pressman's wallet was stolen when he was playing Pinochle last night. It was in his jacket hanging on the back of his chair. He had it at 1.30, and when he checked again at quarter of four, it was missing. Vivian thinks she remembers this dance kid, Johnny, walking by. So we ask him. You have an alibi for last night? He says he was alone in his room reading. (laughs) There are no books in Johnny's room. Look, there's been a mistake. I know Johnny didn't do it. There have been similar thefts at the Sheldrake, and it's happened here before. Three other wallets. Well, I know he didn't do it. Stay out of it, baby. Wait, don't put those tables together. (laughs) Daddy, I need your help. I know Johnny didn't take Mo's wallet. I know. Oh, how do you know? I can't tell you. But just please trust me, Daddy. I'm sorry, baby. I can't. This Danish is pure protein. Uh, Mr. Kellerman, look. Uh, maybe Johnny didn't do it. Anyone could have taken it. Maybe it was, uh, you, you know, it could have been that, that little old couple, the Schumachers. I saw her with a couple of wallets. Sylvia and Sydney. Baby, you don't go around accusing innocent people. Yeah, but I saw them. I even saw them at the Sheldrake. Didn't you say something was stolen at the Sheldrake? I got an eyewitness, and the kid has no alibi. Come on, Neil. You'll learn what it's like to fire an employee. No, Mr. Mr. Kelman, wait a minute. I know Johnny didn't take the wallet. 
I know he didn't take it because he was in his room all night. And the reason I know is because I... Oh, shit, it cut off. Okay, (gasps) she said, okay, so I'll finish it. And the reason I know is because I was with him. So she, in 1963, a young unmarried girl admits that she had sex, premarital sex with a guy who's not even in her social class. That is huge Mm. in front of her family (gasps) and people that, you know, people of respectability. So like that is huge. Yeah. So like after this scene, um, baby goes and sees her dad on the gazebo and there's like actually some falling leaves falling. So it gives it kind of an autumnal feel, uh, end of summer feel. And her dad's just like sitting there, like kind of distraught. And she goes up to him and do you want to do the lines or I can do the lines? I don't care. I'll I'll read it. That'd be great. Okay. So she gives up, she goes up to him and she gives him like a speech. You don't hear Jerry Arbuck talking during the scene, but he's doing a lot of emoting, a lot of facial acting, some tears Mm -hmm. even. And she goes, I told you I was telling the truth, daddy. I'm sorry I lied to you, but you lied too. You told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break, but you meant everyone who was like you. You told me you wanted me to change the world, make it better, but you meant by becoming a lawyer or an economist or marrying someone from Harvard. I'm not proud of myself, but I'm in this family too, and you can't keep giving me the silent treatment. There are a lot of things about me that aren't what you thought, but I, but if you love me, you have to love all the things about me and I love you. And I'm sorry. I let you down. I'm so sorry, daddy, but you let me down too. Uh, It's really sad. It's perfect though. Yeah. And she's crying. She's crying at the end of that speech too. And then Jerry Orbach, uh, Dr. Hausman is crying too. Yeah. And that's, that's an awakening for a kid you know, for a young adult to kind of make, make her own. Yeah. Her individuality away from her parents and letting go of like mom and dad's ideals for you and what you really want to be. It's hard. Really to become a healthy adult. It's like considered a stage Mm -hmm. of becoming a healthy adult is individuating from your parents and your family. And um, I think the speech is like so universal and so like touching for that reason. And, 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 for parents too, they could watch it and be like, Oh, I remember having a similar experience and just yeah. having to let go and understand that there's going to be some generational differences or some differences in our ideology, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. I just admire Jerry Orbach's acting in that scene so much too. Mm-hmm. It's just very quiet but powerful. Mm-hmm. So after that scene, Johnny finds baby and um lets her know that the Schumachers have been caught. Like, so this little old couple that she saw with Wallace was indeed the thieves. We're indeed the thieves, but Johnny's fired anyway, as we said, because Johnny and baby were together, which is against their policy. And um, then Johnny, Oh yeah. And then she says, it's all for nothing, but he says, no, nobody's ever done anything like that for me. So he's mm-hmm. like touched that baby put her neck on the line for him. Yeah. And then um, Johnny goes to Dr. Hausman and tries to tell him that like baby's a great person. And in which, in which in response, Dr. Hausman says, I see someone in front of me who got his partner in trouble and sent her off to some butcher while he moved on to an innocent young girl, like my daughter. And, and Johnny goes, yeah, I guess that's what you would see. And that's where I'm like, why didn't you tell him about Robbie? Yeah. Anyway, 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 it's understandable to me now. I used to be angry at Dr. Hausman when I was younger, and now I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand what he's where he's coming from there. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, and then there's the goodbye scene where Johnny's leaving the resort and Patrick Swayze's own song that he wrote uh, and sings on. She's like the wind is playing over that scene. And he says, I'll never be sorry. And she says, neither will I. And then he says, see ya. So nobody says I love you in this movie. That's notable. There's no I love yous and it doesn't matter. Like a lot of movies these days, I'll notice we'll try to shoehorn that in um, mm. when that's not always what you say right away. Like you can feel that there's love between them, the, the actions, you know, that they perform. Yeah. I'll Would never you agree be with sorry. That? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, God, I would have died. If I were her, I would have died. Why? I mean, I guess they have to say goodbye at some point. Um, oh, you mean you would have like, been really upset? Yeah. Yeah. Then, like, never recovered. Well, <laughs> you know, she's got her Peace Corps and her Mount Holyoke and all that shit as well. So that's true. <laughs> yeah. But Lisa is nice to baby after that and says, you're pretty in your own way, which I always thought Lisa did not look very good in this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to Jane Brooker. I'm sorry to Lisa. But she always looked like she like her face had been made up to be very like purely white or something, you know, mm, and her hair mm. was so black and it just seemed yeah. odd to me. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. She is pretty. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So now well, like it's, it's, it's oh, go ahead. well, I'm just noticing like, yeah, baby doesn't like tease her hair she doesn't set it you know she doesn't do rollers or anything i mean she is like you know well she's on her way to being a hippie right and she even has some clothes like that some you know like peasant shirts kind of, yeah yeah I love her peasant shirts i love them. her peasant shirts um anyhow and her sister is completely opposite she's, she's yeah done done up so the final scene or, or, I, or the finale scene. The, the finale. finale. Not the final. The finale scene. The final dance. Everything. Yep. Okay, so the Kellerman song. Do you ever get that stuck in your head? I get it stuck in my head every time I watch this movie. It, it could. I don't want to. Join <laughs> hands and hearts and voices, voices, voices and hands. At Kellerman's, the memories last long as the mountain stands. I can. I used to be able to sing the whole song, including the verses. Not kidding. That's impressive. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad though. <laughs> anyway, they're singing this Kellerman's like song with the waiters and the resort owner and like uh, different people who were in the talent show, including Lisa. Mm-hmm. And a little Hawaiian get up. While this is going on, Robbie goes up to Dr. Hausman and says, thanks for helping with the penny situation. So he's about to get money from Dr. Hausman for being the waiter for the season. And instead, he like totally cell phones and like, because <laughs> mm-hmm. he thinks mm-hmm. Dr. Hausman, like, you know, is an, a- another asshole who's cool with him. Like, you know, just writing off this weight, this uh, dancer and like making her get an abortion. And Dr. Hausman takes the money back immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Another isn't that cool. great? Like, yeah. isn't it great? Aren't we all like, ooh, yeah. you dug your own grave? Like, it's so much more powerful, right? Like, yeah. what if, and we all keep wanting baby to tell her dad and be like, dad, sure, it was Robbie, sure. he's an asshole. But like, sure. what if he believed her? And like, I don't know, would that scene have been as powerful had baby That's said true. something sooner? That's very true. That's true. So then, um, yeah. Max, I, one thing I wanted to point out is Max Kellerman tells his band leader, it all seems to be ending about like the resort 
you know, lifestyle mm. and how p- kids don't want to go there anymore, which is like totally a historical reference to like, it was all ending at that time. Like by the seventies, these resorts were dying off. Like people didn't really go to them as much anymore. So mm. I thought that was cool. And then Johnny comes back in during the Kellerman song and he says the famous line. Nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> Woo! Which, Which nobody Patrick, liked that line. Nobody liked. Yeah. Patrick yeah. Swayze didn't want to say it. Nobody wanted <laughs> But it's like the line now. That's the line yep. everybody says. Except for me, I carried a watermelon. And um, Johnny just grabs, like, after he says nobody puts baby in a corner, he grabs um, baby's hand and he takes her up to the stage and he interrupts the singing of the Kellerman song and Lisa's the last one to stop singing because, of course. And, <laughs> like, and Lee, Lee, Lee remarked to me that it just seemed odd that nobody stopped Johnny from, like, doing this. But, like, I'm like, eh, yeah. whatever. It, it, it's okay. Yeah, and and then they, they they play the song "I've Had the Time of My Life," which is one of the movie's modern songs. Now this is really cool. You I learned from the movies that made us that song "I've Had the Time of My Life" was literally the last cassette they listened to the night before filming the finale scene. What? Like they were still looking for a song for that scene the night before filming, and they had this like bag of cassettes, and they just kept listening and listening and listening, and that was the very last one they listened to. Magic, yeah, to be. I love it. Yeah. And um, I thought the choreography of the scene was amazing because you see little pieces of all the dance moves that they've done throughout the rest of the film are just worked into this final dance. Like there's the dirty dancing, the mambo madness thing or mambo magic from the, yeah, you just see little touches and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that piece. I remember. And so it feels organic, right? It's not like a totally new dance number. Oh, correct. Right. Right. It's the, I mean, I think it's supposed to be the mambo one and, and it's like, but it's got they pieces can, of other things in there too. Does it? There's not just the mambo magic. There's pieces of other dance. There's there's pieces of dirty dancing. There's pieces of other dance. Oh, moves. you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But like they can, uh, yeah, it's perfect. They can they can do that all now. They are together. They are you know they're in sync. They're, she's confident. So yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. It's beautiful. Oh. And then I've got your little line there. <laughs> when the mom. They cut to the to the parents, Dr. and Mrs. Hausman. And Mrs. Hausman leans into Dr. Hausman. She goes, I think she gets this from me. <laughs> yeah, like I referring to the line. dance, referring to the dance ability. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. And then um another note. Um, so they're dancing on the stage, and then Patrick Swayze like leaps down from the stage. And apparently he was in a lot of pain when he was doing that leap from his knee. So like yeah. they like, yeah, like he really put his body on the line for the movie. And, and then after he goes, r- goes down, he's dancing with all the other kind of dirty dancers, staff people, and they're all yeah. like kind of dancing towards the stage. And then he does another crook of the finger. And I think he does a crook of the finger there. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they just nod at each other. And she runs down off this. She's lifted off the stage by yes. other dancers. And then she runs into his arms and does the lift successfully for the first time. Yep. Well, on land anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the beach. Kenny Ortega wasn't holding his legs down there. No, no. And it's, and it's beautiful. And it's like, and to me, it feels symbolic. Like that is like the symbol that she has come of age, that she has come into her womanhood, her sexuality. Like she's uh, resolved the plot in a way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that. It's a great visual symbol. I think it's so smart. She's right. She's taken off, ready to fly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Got her wings. (laughs) 
And then everybody oh. starts dancing. Yeah. So like the old, these oh. two old ladies are dancing. Um, Neil, the grandson of the resort manager starts dancing with Mrs. Hausman. Lisa's dancing with Billy. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like everybody's together and it's like the classes have mixed too. Like the yes. staff is dancing with the the visitors. Like, yeah. And it's like this like ideal utopic sort of ending in a way. Mm-hmm. And then the dad goes to Johnny and says, I was wrong about, you know, you weren't, re-. he admits that he was wrong about Johnny and he knows that he didn't get Penny in trouble. Mm-hmm. And he tells his daughter, you looked wonderful out there. Aww. And so that family relationship is resolved too. Mm-hmm. And like, Everything just feels like all the plot threads have come together to me. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get, is there a more perfect ending than this? I don't know. No. They end with a kiss <sighs> on the dance floor. Everybody's dancing. I love it. Ah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So good. <laughs> Which brings me to my theory that Dirty Dancing is a perfect movie. So mm-hmm. I've tried to tell this to people all the time, and especially guys, because a lot of guys write this movie off altogether. Like I just, the ending is perfect. Um, it, it's a happy ending that feels natural. It doesn't feel forced. It ties up all its threads. The movie works on multiple levels. It's like a genre romance. It's a dance movie. It's a family drama. It's a movie that deals with like class and abortion rights and real issues. It's a period piece that works well. The script is great. Like it's the economy of the plotting is so good. Everything moves along. And like the dialogue is good. The actors deliver all the dialogue well. I don't think there's any scenes that feel out of place. Like the closest I can come to is when he like randomly leaves the the raining place and goes to the sunny place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and um and it's just pleasurable it's pleasurable to watch, but it's like got emotional depth at the same time. And um like I cried. I cried at the finale this this time because like I was like, "Oh, look, like everybody's happy together and like the dad is made up with his daughter and she's with her love and like, like everybody's enjoying this dance. And I just started crying. I was such a sap. And in my opinion, this should be regarded as one of the greatest movies ever made, like period, not like one of the greatest rom-coms, just one of the greatest movies ever made. I'm kind of really sick of our Canon being like valuing things like a gangster movie or a war movie as like higher quality than a movie like this. I agree. That's, just, that's just the fucking truth. If you look at the lists of hundred greatest movies, fifty greatest movies, it'll always there's it's always heavy with like more male centric movies, male and violent themes. Mm-hmm. There's but there's no reason that we should value those themes higher than we should value the themes of family and romance. Just like how Jane Austen gets written off when she's one of the greatest writers ever of all time, you know. Mm-hmm. Like she, one hundred percent. It's because of the themes, and it's because of they're associated with women instead of men. In my opinion, like I'm not saying Goodfellas isn't a great movie or The Godfather isn't a great movie, but I'm saying Dirty Dancing is also a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah, get with the program, people. I, I, yes, one hundred percent. But um, I think this is also like if you look up feminist and Dirty Dancing, there's now like a million think pieces on this. Like, mm-hmm. great before any of these think pieces came out, I kind of intuitively knew it was a feminist movie when I was younger. Like, because mm-hmm. you've got a heroine who's like intelligent, idealistic. She's known for her character, not for her looks. Like, how important was that in the '80s? You know, mm-hmm. like how yeah. many how many heroines were there that weren't like your stereotypically a, like perfect looking girl, or who doesn't like change like his, oh yeah his whole, makeover. like the makeover scene i hate the effing makeover scene i really do it used to be cute but it's it's like why why 
why I like that baby herself is feeling more confident and like exploring, you know, you know, being sexy and stuff like that on her own, but she doesn't start right. Like putting her hair up in rollers and like doing all the, you know, pretty things that pretty girls do back at yeah, that she time. She puts on lipstick, I guess. She borrows yeah. her sister lipstick. That's and she dresses sexy, but like, she's not like, but, but he's, but the reason then Johnny ends up liking her is not because of what her looks either. It's because Except, like, yeah. Yeah. It's because like, she cares about people. She helps people. You know, she right. works hard, things like that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, she's discovering that for herself. Yeah. You know, and trying to, like, be – do you know what I'm saying? Versus, like, Penny and the girls and the rest of the dance girls, you know, bring her in and dollar up, you know? Yeah, to, like, exactly. That kind of thing. Um, I'm sick of that. So we talked about um, Baby being, like, a great feminist character because she's known for her personality and and not for her looks. But, like, another thing I thought was really great was that she's just very outgoing and assertive in the story. Like, the woman character in this movie is the active character. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, like, so I was thinking about comparing this to, like, 10 Things I Hate About You, right? Mm. And, you know and like yeah. cat is a great character but a lot of times things are kind of being done to her and she's reacting to them you know mm. she's mm. being pursued and then reacting but in this baby just really sets out and she's the one to go to visit the staff quarters she's the one to go and help them she's the one to get to know johnny like she's yeah. the one to seduce him i just love that yeah that's awesome. Uh, it's uh, I never I never quite thought about it that way, but I love your comparison um, to her to Cat and like how things kind of happen to Cat and her reaction. Isn't that interesting? Is there any other film where we have such a you know great character like Baby who? I mean, I definitely think so. Maybe not as many teen films. <sighs> Strictly Ballroom think. comes to mind again. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. For Fran, sure. You know. Yeah. Approaches him. And yeah, says, that's true. I want to dance. Strictly ballroom, man. <laughs> Gotta get that in there. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be assertive to be feminist either. But I just like that. There's this example. I like that she's the center of the story. She's the active one. Like yeah. in um in I was reading I'm reading a screenwriting book right now because I'm trying to write a screenplay and they say that like you should make your protagonist active so like mm. to be viewed as a protagonist by some people I think the female character has to be more active and the other thing okay one other thing about ten things I hate about you and ten things I hate about you like I love that movie again but like they're always signaling so strongly that Kat's a feminist with these like like she's reading oh. like the bell jar or something or Simone de Beauvoir. And I just like how baby just is feminist, just in the way she exists. Mm. You know, she's just like the way she exists is feminist. The way she goes for what she wants, the way she stands up for herself and other people, the way she helps Penny and has like that solidarity. I don't know. Anyway, you don't have to signal it so much. And I guess in the, the fucking ABC thing that they made, she yeah. is, she's sitting at the final dance or final Kellerman's dance thing before Johnny comes in reading the bell chart. I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> like, that's just antisocial. That's not feminist anymore. And that's just like, <laughs> come on, don't, don't you go everywhere with a book or something? Oh, and especially the bell jar, because that's the only book that feminists read. It's like, show right. some imagination too. Like, come on. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then another thing about the film that's feminist, obviously, it's dealing with abortion rights and people, you know, have different opinions on that, of course. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but just like b- being able to show like what the argument for abortion rights is, the consequences mm-hmm. of like illegal abortions and like what that can do to women. Like, because there's going to be women who don't, aren't in a position to have a pregnancy for whatever reason, be it economic, be it physical, emotional. I understand why people are pro-life. I can understand their arguments. And like, I don't want to like, you know, say that that's not a serious concern for them. But at the same time, you got to think about the serious concern for these women's whole lives and, and, and what that, and they will get abortions. Women will get abortions that has been shown throughout time and throughout different countries. So we can either make them safe and done by doctors in a, you know, responsible way, or they can be, you know, damaging people. Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I'm pro-choice, but like I, I definitely anyone in our audience who's pro-life, or I don't even know your opinion, Sophia. But like anyone who like is pro-life, I certainly respect why you have made that decision too. But just I love that this movie shows something that maybe not everybody's aware of, like in the post Roe versus Wade world, like that that there was a reality of these dangerous abortions. I know. Ugh. I know. My view opinion, it's, I mean, my God, it is not my like go to solution. It is not my favorite at all. Like, I find it really heartbreaking. But again, that picture of like the whole picture of someone's choice to do it is, um, it's also really heartbreaking that, um, a a woman has to travel 500 miles to try to find a legal one. Like, you know, as you said, this whole picture of somebody's life and what leads them to this choice. And um, I would vastly prefer safe and legal versus, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of bullshit that really doesn't care about, you know, economic situations for people, all those things that um, I think uh, govern decisions more than like something some moral high ground, as it were. And I could take some of these politicians more seriously who are like um, anti-abortion if they were advocating for like more care and money mm-hmm. and help for like children once they are born. Yes, <laughs> like, all of that. Or can we make, know? how about the birth control? More readily available, more affordable, like stop cutting <laughs> that out yeah. of like health insurance coverage. I mean, yeah, you know, be proactive on the front end too. Not like all of that. And then just like other things about the movie, obviously it passes the Bechdel test. Baby's talking to her sister. She's talking to Penny. She doesn't talk to her mother much. That, yeah, that, that is the one kind of sad thing. You don't really get to know Mrs. Hausman much. Yeah. She does She does stand up to her husband at the, the finale scene, though. Like yep. he's trying to go and interrupt their dance and she's like, sit down, Jake. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. like her one moment to shine, really. Mm-hmm. And how <laughs> cool of her. Like, way to go, mom. Like, way to, you know let your daughter have this moment and uh, not be not. She could have totally been like, Oh my gosh, Jake, go get her. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could have gone the other way. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, they, they had not seen you see her as kind of maybe fun and like um, warm and like open-minded. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you didn't, you just barely get to see her through the rest of the movie. So he kind of shushes her a lot, you know, oh, really? Like, well, I don't know, but like they're at the golf course, baby comes for the money and you know, 
she goes right to her dad and they don't tell mom and uh he she's like oh what's going on oh nothing we got it and then he goes to you know help penny and she's like jake what's wrong he's like nothing go back to sleep you know like they keep her in the dark a lot yeah so yeah i was more close to my mom too so that's totally and my mom was the one who always knew what was going on so to me that's not relatable but yeah i mean eleanor bergstein wrote it maybe eleanor bergstein's family was like this who can say the only one the other thing besides the mom that i noticed that i wouldn't call super feminist is just the whole vivian pressman being the bungalow bunny thing it's just i was like "Eh, really like i understand how it you know it can serve as a point to make baby jealous and to show johnny johnny's evolution from like being in this kind of transactional sexual relationship to being in a love relationship sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like a lot of women didn't have their husbands with them during the week in that time period and also like what if an older woman wants to have sex like i mean granted she's cheating i don't love that but like you know yeah, uh, that they didn't really have non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy at that time, and right. I don't know. Anyway, and they make her such kind of a stereotype too, like such a cheesy cougar. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they need it. They need just they need another villain, you know, because she also gets Johnny in trouble, and yeah. you know that leads to that moment, and yeah. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Still, like, overall, the movie, I feel, is, is you know, a mainly feminist movie and more so than most of these rom-coms that I've seen, in my opinion. I, I'm with you. Okay. So how about for this movie, favorite scenes? Like, what would be, like, ch- like really quickly, let's just, like, top three scenes. Top okay. three. Top three. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I like the when baby first goes to the to the servant to the servants' quarters, the dancers' quarters, and she sees the dancing, you know, for the first time. And Johnny, yeah. um, you know, tries to show her how to dance a little bit. Um, that's yeah, a good one. Um, okay, I'll give one. Um, yeah, give one. You give one. My, one of my favorites is the Hungry Eyes section of the montage. Just yeah. that whole dancing montage. It's like a great dancing montage. You get so much of their character through that. Yeah. And it's sexy and it's a good song and it's good fashion. Whole thing. I love it. Yep. Yep. Okay. I second that one. And then okay. I guess, you know, it's it never was my favorite uh, over the years. But as we've discussed and just, I don't know, growing up, the scene when they're in the car after the dance. Oh, I All think right. The, you know, they kind of like did. You know, they did it. They 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 pulled it off, and um, it, and yet it's kind of a quiet moment. And my other two favorite scenes are going to be the finale because it's the finale. Oh. <laughs> it's the final yes. dance. And the yes. last time I watched it, I freaking cried. And <laughs> and then the cottage scene and where she d- does the line like, "I'm scared of walking oh, out of here yeah. and never feeling yeah. again the way I feel when I'm with you." That line, that dialogue, that mood. I love it. Ugh, I just love mood. it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You said them. What else yeah. is there? Nothing. What? Oh, no. Every scene is good. But, I like, know. Those I are know. my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I never appreciated uh, Jane Brooker, who plays Lisa, her acting as much as I did this time. Just like, <laughs> and like all her <laughs> lines. I fucking love, like, just anytime yeah. she gives a line delivery, I love it. 
Yeah. I missed the show, but I was going to sing in the show. I was going <laughs> to the show. I know. I know. Where is that dial? Yeah. What's I feel pretty. Actually? Or what do the simple folk do? Or I feel pretty. I don't know. What do you think, daddy? I just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I appreciated her a lot more this time. Anyway. Okay. So, and now the big question. Um, so before we ask this question, so there's people sort of like talk about like, what do you think the future of baby and Johnny would be? And in fact, I, I, in fact, I assigned this movie as one of the movies my Korean students could do for this essay they did in, in their, in the university. And they had to like, one of the parts of the essay was they took these movie characters and they're like, what do you think will happen with these characters in the future? So like almost all the students who did dirty dancing, they always had baby and Johnny opening a dance studio together. That was like, that's what they, that's what they envisioned. Like they're like, that's awesome. Okay. (laughs) Occasionally they'd be more realistic and they'd be like, well, baby, or I don't know if it's realistic, but they'd be like, well, baby's going to go off to college and she and Johnny will forget about each other, but they will have happy lives or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and then I want to give like Eleanor Bergstein's um, feeling about this. So she told E online about their future, Johnny and baby had a very specific future together and were both very, very much a part of their times. And of course, that's the 1960s that she's talking about and then the 70s. Mm. So that's an intriguing, you know, idea that she had put out there too. Yeah. So did what you does have that mean? Well, okay. <laughs> I'll, well, I'll tell you what I think for me. So like, yes. In the, what do you think would happen to Baby and Johnny? So definitely I think Baby... I think I feel like Baby would go to college and probably she would graduate college, but like I think she'd get mm. way more into like, you know, activism and like um, you know, student protest type thing. And I think she might transfer out of Mount Holyoke to someplace a little more like uh lively. Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And um yeah. I mean Mount Holyoke's a great place, but it's like it's kind of like in a I I, I went to one of the five colleges, Hampshire originally, and yeah. it's just kind of in the country a little bucolic. Yeah. There's not a lot happening by Mount Holyoke. Anyway, yeah. I think that would probably be the case. And then Johnny, like I feel like at his age, there's a chance he could be drafted to go to Vietnam. Like mm. so that's gotta be a shadow, you know, over his life. Like and whether he would decide to go or whether he'd decide to go to Canada, like yeah. I, I don't know exactly what would happen to them. I feel like they would try to stay in touch in my mind. Yeah. But that's yeah. a turbulent time they'd be living through. Like maybe they'd have their own 60s and then reconnect in the 70s even. Yeah. I, I don't see the dance studio future happening for them. Yeah, well, I mean, these are, these are Korean students without a lot of U.S. historical context necessarily, too. And like, like, 20, like 20, 30 years, young, 20 years younger than us, right? Who like, so... <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh, the thought of Johnny going to being drafted. Oh, geez. I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. What I do you think would happen that. to them? Yeah. Do you think they would try to stay together? Like, I mean, I, that's the easier. Oh, geez, I don't think they could. They no? just couldn't. No. How? How? Because well, I mean, the East Coast is pretty well connected by rail and bus, so you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, good point. Um. What's to stop baby from visiting her painter and plaster boyfriend on the weekends? Like, because that's his other occupation, apparently. Oh, right. Forgot about that one. I guess nothing. And maybe they would for a little while. Yeah. But I think you're right. As the as the time evolves, um, I think that she's going to go and uh, be where the action's at. Hmm. You know? 
Yeah. And I, and I don't think it's not like Johnny doesn't care, but, um, you know, baby still can call her dad to put some money in the bank account. You know, she's, yeah. kind of, she's got a little privilege there where he's yeah. like, I got to work, you know, yeah. and I, I care about stuff, but like also got to like pay my rent. So sure. I feel like maybe they'd have their own 60s and they'd meet somewhere in the 70s and they'd talk about what they'd been through and then they'd fall in love all over again. Mm. That's my idea. That's nice. <laughs> and then Dirty Dancing 2 could have been like disco dancing. <laughs> oh, whoa. Wild. If they had made it back when, when they still could have made it, we could have had Dirty Dancing 2 with disco, Dirty Disco Dancing. <laughs> anyway. Well, then you would just go watch, you know, Saturday Night Fever. I no, guess. because I want to see Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, not like, you know, I mean, I like John Travolta. He's good, too. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So enough All of that. Right. Re- so let's also talk about some the remakes, the reboots, and the tributes to this show really quick. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So I really want to see, for the remakes, reboots, and, re-tri- and tributes, there's a 1988 Kenny Ortega-directed Dirty Dancing TV show. And I was trying to look for bits of it on YouTube because sometimes you can find it. All I could find was like one episode in a language that might have been German. I didn't stick around long enough to check to make sure. Um, and I was like, and it was dubbed over. It wasn't like with subtitles. So I was like, well, maybe I won't watch this. But it looked so interesting. And apparently in that version, um, Baby is the resort owner's daughter. Okay. And Johnny and her are having a romance. And it only lasted for like 12 episodes, but I would so want to watch those. Like just the fact that it came out contemporaneously with the movie. I, I saw if it's the same thing it, that we're thinking. Yeah. There was a TV show and I think I caught a couple episodes. Oh, wow. Um, when it, when it came out. Um, oh, and I didn't remember the part about, uh, her being the owner's daughter, but she was, she was waitressing. She was a waitress. She was, you know, doing some waitressing. Hmm. And, um, and that's all I remember. Like, it certainly wasn't as good. Yeah. And it was like hard for like, it, it was sporadic. Like it was one of those, obviously it wasn't doing well. So I feel like I would try to find it and maybe then like something would take over and it just kept getting pushed out of the way or something like that. So yeah, yeah. I remember that. And also in 1988, they had this Dirty Dancing concert tour where they just did the songs and the dancing Mm -hmm. like for people. And like, I remember asking my mom if I could go see that. And she she said we couldn't. It was probably because of money. We didn't have a lot of money. So, yeah. But but like, I was so sad. I was like, oh. But then again, I was sad sad about a lot of things in the 80s, like not being allowed to have a Lake of Virgin Madonna child's version outfit. That was a thing that existed, too. (laughs) Oh, damn. Um, That is sad. Did I think you could have? They put that on TV. Did yeah, you but I wanted to go. Oh, oh sure, sure, go. sure. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be where the action was. Of course. Okay, now here's here's the real question: the s- sequel, and I say I give quotes around that. Dirty Dancing Havana Nights in 2004. Did you see it? I did a long time ago. I didn't like it, but like you I didn't mean, I, like no, it. I've only seen it the once, but I didn't like it when I saw it. Like I remember watching it and being like, uh. <laughs> I saw it in the theaters. I own the DVD. I really like it. Okay, I so do. why? What do you? What are? What is? T- like, uh, pump it up. Then tell us what its qualities are. <gasps> oh, geez, I love that it's supposed to be Cuba and that dancing. Come on, that dancing, and I think um, Diego Luna is really cute and. Um, 
And I like this story that her parents were, you know, they were dancers at one point. And so she's got some dance background. She's not totally green. Um, and, and he's got moves and, um, uh, you know, there's again, this class thing. That was a plane. So it's a plane. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, and oh, come on. It's so great. Patrick Swayze shows up and he's like the dance instructor at the, <laughs> at the hotel. And he's like, don't be afraid. Or, you know, or if you are fear, you know, work through that. It's a fantastic. And I think their dance number is really hot. It didn't do I, anything for me when I watched it. Oh, I was geez. like, a- <laughs> I, I, and I, and I also love that the choreographer, it's ba- loosely based on her life. And, um, she has her little cameos in the show. and. Um, I mean, maybe I'll watch it again someday, but like, yeah, yeah. Cause I don't I, have an inform at this point. I don't have an informed opinion. I have like a 20 year old opinion that I can't remember like what, or not 20 year old. It came out in 2004, but like whenever it came out around that time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyhow, I thoroughly enjoy myself and I really don't think of it as like a sequel at all. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just called that some places. So, yeah, yeah or a prequel or something or reboot, yeah. whatever. Okay, so then um, Eleanor Bergstein also wrote a Dirty Dancing live show, which is kind of like a, it hasn't been on Broadway, but it's like that kind of show. And oh, it premiered okay. in 2004 in London and Australia. And then in 2014, it came to the US, but it just does regional tours. So okay. that I saw some reviews of that that sounded like it was pretty good. But and it seems like it pretty much stays to the story. So Okay. Yeah. And then um, another th- influence of uh, Dirty Dancing, the crazy, the movie Crazy Stupid Love in 2011, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone have the lift scene. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan Gosling sets Emma Stone up to do the lift. And like, that's a major mm-hmm. thing in that movie. And I don't really like that movie all that much. I think that's probably the best part of that movie. <laughs> and if the best part of your movie is from another movie, you're in trouble. But <laughs> oh, I enjoy that movie as well. Yeah, and and the lift scene is pretty great. Not a fan. <laughs> Why not? Um, uh, it's a. I feel like it's a guy's rom com. There's. I mean, uh, we, if we we can cover that movie at some point in the yeah, future, hopefully, okay. and I can ex- I can explain my end. But it's okay. got some great actors in it. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. yeah, a guy rom com. Okay. All right. What's next here? Um, the ABC remake. Oh my god. So ABC made this like. TV remake, I think it was like three hours long or something in 2017. And to say it wasn't well received would be like an understatement. Like I'll put an article in the show notes, like about all Uh the different tweets people were making about it, like how bad it was. Um, Apparently they just like watered down a lot of the themes. They changed dialogue. Like they changed, I carried a watermelon to, I carried his watermelon. Why? Like, like it's just like senseless, pointless things were changed. Um, But the main thing was the two lead actors, Abigail Breslin and Colt Pratt's just could not dance well. It was like watching, like I watched some clips of it. It was literally like watching like some high school production um, with not even really great high school dancers being filmed. Like it was like, why, why, why did you do this? Like you look at see my face. I'm like stunned and appalled. And I'm like, just shocked in you a just, state you, of like, what? yeah, you know, but you know, when you see like people dancing and you can tell that they're like, um, 
you can tell that like they don't know how to do much so that they're just shuffling around a lot of extra to make it look good or something but it ends up looking awkward instead i don't it's just so bad like literally they could have done they could have remade dirty dancing in an hour episode of glee and it would have been better Okay, <laughs> the people on Glee can actually dance, and also yeah. they changed it into a fucking musical for no reason. So sometimes they're singing things, and like again, the people on Glee could have done that better too. Like I, I just literally, I would rather see a two-hour-long episode of Glee where like Mr. Schuster it plays Johnny, okay, than watch right. that movie. Okay. That's how fucking wow. bad it is. Sorry, I just watched. No, part of it, I just I, did. You can you find it on YouTube? Did you try? Oh, yeah, you can find you can find scenes on YouTube. And it's like, that's what I was watching. And I was like, what is this? Oh, I've got and there's to. like there's to, like negative chemistry. It's like ah. like you know when people when people have no chemistry, it's one thing. But sometimes people have like negative chemistry where they kind of like just repel you. <laughs> or they seem what? to be repelling each other. Oh, Here's it's so bad. Also, it's so, so bad. Like money so was bad. put in that. Somebody funded that. Yeah. God, what a waste. What a waste yeah. of resources. Ah. Anyway, oh, so then apparently there's going to be an actual sequel to Dirty Dancing. And this is what is known about it so far. We know that it's going to be set in the 90s. We know that Jennifer Grey is involved as an actor and an ex- executive producer. It says she's starring in some capacity, but I don't really know how that works per se. Unless we're going to get like an older person dirty dancing, which I'm all for. Although if it's set in the 90s, I don't know. Um, and Jonathan Levine, who's the director of Longshot, um, which we covered in our second episode oh. of the podcast, he is set to direct it. So, I mean, that's, you know, kind of good. I'm not thrilled about it, though. Like, anything that Eleanor Bergstein... You know, Patrick Swayze was offered the opportunity to do a sequel a long time ago in the 80s. And he said he was not interested unless Eleanor Bergstein wrote it. And oh, she hadn't okay. written it. And I respect that decision on Patrick Swayze's part. Because yeah. Eleanor Bergstein is, like, the heart of this movie, in my yeah. opinion. Okay. Um, I feel like and I've oh, heard this rumor for, like, 10 years, though. No, no, but yeah, this no. is like this is on IMDb now, and this is like oh. they just announced it again in 2020. Shut the front door. Oh, and um, wow. and um, what else? What are they going to say? Oh, they're not going to replace, try to replace the character of Johnny with a different actor or anything. So it's going to be a that, obviously Johnny's not going to be around. Like I just don't know what they're going to do though. Set in the 90s, it's like Johnny got I'm, killed in Vietnam, just like yeah. But you know, what's the dancing go. aspect going to be? Like Lee was Uh-oh. suggesting, maybe it could be swing dance because there was that swing dance craze at the time that revival oh but, yeah but Good otherwise lead. like what you're gonna have a mosh pit <laughs> dirty mosh <laughs> pit so okay so double feature recommendations my first double feature recommendation would be to watch the marvelous mrs Maisel, and particularly season two but obviously if you want to understand season two you'd be better off watching season one as well and the reason i recommend it is because season two there's scenes that are set in a another like cat skills resort you know similar to the one in dirty dancing and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is about like a Jewish uh, female comedian and her family. And it's set in the same time period, roughly. And I just, I love these period things. I, I That's one of my favorite things about Dirty Dancing is that it's a period piece. And I just think it's like, especially the second season, you get some of the similar flavor in a way. So, yeah. And it's a funny show. It's a good show. Uh, I put Havana Nights, Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. I say go for it. And um, I put strictly ballroom when I was yes. watching. Yeah, I, mean, I knew you would <laughs> like sign you put off it in that. there, but I was like one hundred percent. Like 
If I were to also recommend that, I'm with you on that one. Just as we said, it's another movie where there's a young, confident, well, a young, kind of awkward, but like kind of confident at the same time woman who wants to dance and who falls in love with a dance partner and beautiful dance sequences and beautiful romance. Both of those Mm -hmm. movies. Yep. Yeah. She, she bravely and courageously approaches him and, you know, against all odds, she says, I want to dance with you. I love that movie so much. And great dance sequences. Great dance sequences. Costuming. I mean, and it's also over the top. It's, um, Oh, and uh, we should mention it's Baz Luhrmann's first Baz picture. Baz Luhrmann, yeah. Yeah. So, 100%. So, I also said Shag um, as uh, as the same kind of 60s and, like, girls, you know, going and dancing. And the da- well, and the dancing is choreographed by um, Kenny Ortega. So, a shout out for him in yeah. that vein. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you cannot stream that anywhere right now, but your library might have it, Shag, the movie. From, I think, 88. I think it's 88. So good. I'd also like to recommend A Walk on the Moon, and that's with Diane Lane and Viggo Mortensen. And this is a movie that's also set at one of these resorts in the 60s. But in this case, it's the late 60s when the moon landing is about to happen. And also Woodstock is going on nearby. And it's kind of a movie more about the changing uh, of the change that happened in the 60s. And this, you get like a housewife who, you know, is tempted by the presence of Viggo Mortensen's character at this resort. Right. And like, she's, she's wondering, does she want to stay like the same housewife she's been? Are there other things she wants to explore, including maybe a romance? And it's really cool. Like it's like as a historical piece, as a a movie where you really get to see actors shine. Oh, I cannot remember the name of her husband who plays her husband, Leah Schreiber. That's it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's got great acting. So oh, yeah. totally recommend. Who wouldn't be tempted by Vigo? I, I mean, great. yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Diane Lane's fantastic. Yeah, all of them. Wow. Awesome. Um, I put Newsies because it's a musical and there's dancing and Kenny Ortega directed and choreographed. And um, I just love Newsies. Who doesn't want to see little Christian Bale? I know that too. (laughs) Little Christian Bale singing songs about Santa Fe. And then my final recommendation is just to watch the Netflix episode on Dirty Dancing, the movies that made us. We've definitely shared some of the information that that episode showed, but you can say, see so much more if you watch the show. You can see like some of the screen tests. You Mm -hmm. can, it's, it's cool. Like, I, I think it's totally worthwhile. There's, and we definitely didn't tell you all the information. So, mm-hmm. like, even though we're very long. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Like, so I hope you enjoyed listening today to our show. And we're going to do a couple more in the summer romance series, including and a surprising twist, Twister. <laughs> We are going to try to convince you that Twister is, in fact, a rom-com in addition to being whatever else it is. Yes. Awesome. I can't wait. What a great show. In the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And you can always find us at everyromcom.com or send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.